Now, I have a weapon that will kill everything! Everything that is a fiery dragon! And vulnerable to edge attacks. Not pierce, or blunt, or anything else, really. <laughs> well, I'm a goblin with extra limbs that you will have to attack. Not a dragon, not fiery, and not vulnerable to anything but staffs. You'll be picking at me for hours doing no damage while I rip your body apart. And I'm an undead, which is best attacked with magic or a crossbow. Certainly not the weapon you are using. Guess you're out of luck! <laughs> Here it comes, podcasting's finest few hours of gaming prizes. Action RPG fans, come on down! Final Fantasy players, come on down! Might and Magic lovers, come on down! And Disgaea fanboys, come on down! You are the first four contestants on the RPG Backtrack! And here are the stars of the RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Mickey. Polish your swords and prepare your spells. Your friends at RP Gamer got a story to tell. Are you ready to hear about your favorite RPGs? Because we'll be going back a few years in history. If you've got a backlog that is really long, we'll tell you what's right to play and what is wrong. We've got RP Gamer staff on the mic to talk about these games for most of the night. So pull up a chair. We will give you no flack. You're listening to the RPG Backtrack. We welcome you with open arms to RPG Backtrack. This is episode number 130, Night of the Living Vagrants. I am Phil Willis, and this is the Venerable... Eating his dinner in a rush to be in the best shape possible for this evening, Mike. And he's getting in shape to fight enemies in a game called Vagrant Story. And to help us discuss Vagrant Story is the one, the only... Well, he isn't the one. He's really the two. He's really a twin. A twin Bahamut. It is Mr. Nathan Schlotten! Nathan Schlotten! Nathan Schlotten! Nathan Schlotten! Nathan Schlotten! Nathan Schlotten! Correcting Phil Willis for over 130 episodes of RPG Backtrack. Well, 128 joined the show. Well, Nathan was on those first 10 years. 
Well, it is that time of year where we start getting in touch with the illnesses and stuff. Usually, I, I get hit around this time. Don't remind me, I had a coworker out last week because she apparently had to get a biopsy on something. She's had skin cancer in the past. That's not contagious. Ew, ew, ew. But that yes. is contagious, though. You know, you know what is contagious? Awesome yeah. RPGs. They're just so much fun that you just want to spread them around. So for our main event tonight, we're going to be talking about Vagrant Story so we can find out whether or not it's awesome. And we'll be doing, uh, you know, be jumping into another RPG trek because I managed to blaze through Dragon Quest Four while I was at 30,000 feet in the air during the long flight to and from, uh, where did that go to? Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach, one of those places in Florida all the way from Utah. Somebody so, in Flo- somewhere in Florida, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Gave me a lot of time to catch, you know, the DS battery. Just amazing how long that thing lasts, especially when you have the uh, the, the brightness turned down. Just just keeps going. It's like the Energizer Bunny Rabbit battery. Uh, and we'll see what else we got time for. Your comments, your questions, oh, all kinds of stuff. All ready for you. But first, we're going to take a little break. Let's just let you listen to some music. So hold on tight, and we'll be right back with the main event. Welcome back. And this is the main event. This is the part of the show, the main part of the show, where we just zoom in on a game or a series of uh, games, all RPGs, of course, and we talk about them. Ad, what is it? Ad nauseum? Ad nauseum? Ad museum? We talk about it a lot. Ad museum sounds like a very different command. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like something in a later, a later iteration of SimCity. And today we are talking about Vagrant Story, developed by Square. It says Square Product Development Division 4. It says Squaresoft on the front of the box, published by Square, released in North America on May 15th, 2000. For your PlayStation home console entertainment system, this is an action RPG single-player experience coming to you on two CD-ROMs. It's also available through the PlayStation Network, released March 1st, 2011 on the PSN. Not is Ricky re- telling you that it comes on two CDs? Because one of those is a demo disc. You know what? Actually, I'm not sure I was... Yeah, well, Wiki says it, and I'm looking at the cover of the box, and it specifically says two disc on the box. You Nathan, you're with me here, right? It comes on one? Yeah. 
when's the demo disc? Really, what well, I really miss the old PlayStation Square demo discs. They were awesome. But they, they were, they were. They. I forget what games are on this one with this Chrono Cross, or is that a, the back earlier one? If you can give me just a moment, I will go check because I have it readily accessible. Uh, awesome. Phil, for a second. <laughs> And my understanding, just doing a quick search on uh, Google, which is always correct, of course, is that this is uh, one of those PSN uh, classic games that is compatible with the Vita. So if it turns out to be good, we're going to talk about that. That might be a game to own on your Vita. We have here the 2000 Collector CD Volume 3 with The Legend of Mana preview movie, Threads of Fate Interactive, The Chrono Cross preview movie, Interactive Front Mission 3, preview movie for Saga Frontier 2, the preview movie for Chocobo's Dungeon 2, and interactive for Chocobo Racing. Hmm. Awesome. You're, you will not get all of that if you download the BSN version for I don't think so. Vita. No. no. Seems unlikely. You just get the game. So, seriously, uh, I miss those discs. What's that? I still seriously miss those discs. Oh, us. it was the best thing ever. Yeah, they used to get extra discs in there. had all kinds of goodies on it. I mean, and you would look forward to some of those things that were on those discs. Some of those things I was like, yeah, okay. Well, it was nice of them to put that on there. But everything's just like foaming at the mouth, especially when we had like a, you know, a demo of a new Final Fantasy or something along those lines. I, thanks to those discs that I ever played, you know, Gears or Saga Frontier. Like, those are some of, some of my favorite games from the PlayStation era. So, yeah. Gotta love those. Yeah. yeah d- downloading a demo just doesn't have the same impact. No. Not just, like, suddenly, here's a bunch of games you don't know much about, but they're awesome. So yeah, I mean this is this is so so this is super interesting. As, as I mentioned before, released uh, May fifteenth, two thousand, and then uh, re released on PlayStation Network March first, twenty eleven. If you think about that, that's more than a decade later. So the question that we're going to be asking you two tonight, because you two have primarily played this game, I only put about an hour into it, unfortunately, way back in the day. Uh, the question we're going to have for you was: It fun back then, and is it still fun today? 11, well, now it's been 14 years later. Um, so uh, let's see here. And it's got some really cool art on the front of the box. Looks very familiar. I'm trying to remember who that artist is. Yoshida. Yoshida, there you go. So who wants to talk about the story of Vagrant Story and talk I about Ashley Riot and the gang? I could introduce it and say that the writing is very strong. And before I forget... This thing has a really cool text font. It reminds me of Marvel Comics. But you know what, Nathan? You probably know it better since you have actually finished the game, so you will probably do it better justice. Yeah, this is, well, it's a complex story. And definitely, you know, it basically starts off in, well, okay, you need to wait at the credits to actually see the actual beginning. You need to wait at the opening start screen for a few minutes to actually see the real start when they do the prologue of how this all begins, but basically your main character here is Ashley Riot. He is a risk breaker of the VKP, the Valendia Knights of the Peace. He, this is a group of, well, I guess they're kind of government secret agents, more or less, who work directly under the parliament that go around and solve problems. The problem he's solving now is, well... It all begins with an incident in which the leader of a particular cult, uh, I forget their names, do you? It's been a while. Uh, I, I, 
I'm not, I can't remember it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, they're a cult. They're led by this charismatic and business, strange man who walks around without a shirt all the time, <laughs> named Sidney Lostero. He does who, seem to be wearing some some funky gloves, though. Yep, funky gloves. Well, <laughs> and a half skirt thing, but okay. But people yeah, I, on this, I, I wanted to go out of my way to use the most scientific term possible. <laughs> well, okay, I'll just say it now. The people in this game have some unusual sense of fashion. Not the least, which is our main hero, oh, oh, Ashley Riot, who is, you know. He's running around with only like half a shirt. It only covers his front, his chest. It's he's got his back. It's fully exposed. He's well, I've seen that weather. shirt. It, it's just women always wear it. <laughs> and he's kind of wearing these leather short pants things that have you know a hole in the back to show off his butt. Well, you know, it's, I guess it's the this leather underwear under the within it. It's a weird outfit, and that's the main character. <laughs> Yes, uh, I don't know. Maybe we could read something into this. I did get far enough to see that Ashley Riot is unlike most most heroes in that he's old enough to have had a wife and a son, and they died in a violent yeah. encounter. And maybe maybe he's punishing himself. Wait, I don't I don't think I want to go there. That okay, I, I was well, going to try and create some rationale for wearing leather like that, but I don't think I want to anymore. It's dangerous. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's just ignore the costuming from now on, because <laughs> We could go on a, at fun. length. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Ashley, Ashley Riot, it's of the BKP, strange outfit, it, but his main, it's basically, he's a really skilled warrior, who basically single-handedly takes on operations and, and you know, and well, yeah, he has this backstory in which he, his wife and child were murdered, and he he's basically kind of lost in life after that, but still doing his job. And well, anyways, it all begins when he's assigned to do to investigate what basically there's. The, the Sydney Lostero is launching an attack against the home of Duke Bardorba, a very influential and powerful man in the parliament. And basically, Ashley arrives right on scene just as, well, this is, the, the cultists are launching their attack, and he does what he does well, and he starts killing them all. He is really good at killing people, and that's his thing. So he that charges much I have in. noticed, yes. He is quite yeah. skilled. And so he defeats French all the cultists in a very short time. Even while he doesn't even wait for the credits to finish rolling while he, before he finishes this all up. And then he just shows up right in front of the Sydney Lost Tarot. Sydney Lost returns around, and Ashley Wright plants a crossbow bolt right into his heart. But wasting no time killing the main, supposed main villain. Slight problem. Said main villain stands right back up. And rips the crossbow bolt out of his own heart and summons a dragon out to the, into the building. He does say is, something like, uh, "Wow, I, you, you have succeeded in annoying me." Something like that. Yeah. And thus, you're introduced to Sydney Lost Terror, who is insanely powerful. And you know, slight thing: this is a fantasy RPG. Is you know how things go, but 
as far as actually Riot knows, there is no magic. Magic is an old wives' tale. And some guys pulled it across the bowl of his heart and summoned a dragon down. <laughs> like, you know, in a world without magic, suddenly there is a powerful magic at work. And thus, what actually Riot does is, well, he kills the dragon. It's like, it's kind of wounded anyways, but still, it, it's tough. Yeah, but, and he, oh. he, just, he, just, he just does it by brute force. Yeah, he just goes up and slashes it to death with his sword. Like, and not enough, he, he uses the crossbow cutscenes, but you don't actually get one until much later in the game, which is like one of my, one of my biggest annoyances in this game. Uh, but still, moving on, he, the Parliament's been unhappy with how this has all gone down, sends him off to pursue Sydney, who has fled from the manor, and towards Leomont, the kind the well a city which a mere 20 years ago was destroyed in a terrible earthquake and kind of half sunk into a, a river and has since basically been completely abandoned and isolated uncertain how to get in there he well he kind of gets information from the um, his one aide and informed a person named Kala Merlot, a member of the she's a member of the parliament's intelligence agency i guess i can't remember the exact details but Sorry, I can't too much. Yeah, she just sends him on his way, and he heads in via a secret path into the wine cellar. And that's basically there's a wine cellar connected to the waterways beneath the city, and that's how he decides to sneak his way in. And things start getting strange from there because Leomond, it is not just a city that sank; it is well, it is filled to the brim with bizarre magical things and. And there are many different factions that work with Eric who are all trying to enter into the city at once. You've got Sydney Lost Tarot, who is there for mysterious reasons and has mysterious magic powers and seems to be basically orchestrating all of the unusual events that occur. You have Ashley Riot pursuing him. You have various Sydney Tarot's, Lost Tarot's various minions, most of which I think is John Harden, is the main one, who quickly kidnap Merlot almost as soon as Ashley Riot turns his back on her and basically hold her for the rest of the game. Seriously, this, she gets kidnapped right at the beginning, but uh, it's not a typical hero must save the damsel distress story at all. Because this game subverts just about everything, really. Anyways, uh, the, the, the last major figure is Romeo Guildenster. The leader of a group of knights uh, who are working under the cardinal, who basically they're religious knights who have kind of broken away from their orders and gone rogue to on their pursuit of Sydney into this city of Leomont. And you, well, early on you see a lot of their knights running around, and most of them are getting killed by the various monsters in the city because there's a lot of monsters in the city. And a few who don't get killed by the monsters get killed by Ashley because they're in his way. Yeah, because they're in his way. Ashley is really good at killing people. This this is a thing. Human enemies are generally not the most dangerous. Well, okay, actually, they can be pretty nasty later on. But you, you run into these knights all around in the upper, less monster-filled parts of the city all the time. And they can be some nasty opponents in later in the game. But mostly and, because they do not have... And there's an early fight against three of them that is... Not easy unless you have unless you know exactly what you're doing, which I didn't. Yeah, 
this game can be a bit tricky, but we're going to get to that later. Yes. Um, let's see here. Um, at this point, you know, Sydney starts appearing before Ashley Riot a lot, and well, early on, he just summons up giant monsters to fight him. It's like uh, you walk into a room, Sydney's like, "Hi!" He summons up a giant suit of uh, of hollow armor or, or filled with powerful dark magic, and you fight it. And well, weird things start happening. The city is filled with things called grimoires. Powerful magic, which, you know, there are all kinds of items around you can use. You gain magic spells, and there's weird floating platforms. You can see various knights talking like, this is weird, as they look at the platforms. And then you start using them to follow around, and you solve the block puzzles, which I'll get to that in a later bit. Oh, yes, the interaction. We will get to that. (laughs) And, well, the thing is, like, the city is alive with incredible magic and the power of the dark. It's what the dark is is kind of well vaguely defined, but certainly it's this powerful dark evil force dwelling somewhere deep in the city, and so that you know when something dies in the city, it tends to not stay still long. Like even a few minutes after a corpse hits the ground, it's often just immediately back up as a zombie you have to kill, and. It, Basically, this feels like this constant, like the city almost this living evil thing. That's it's actually really kind of cool. One of the better things, cool things of this game's story is just the crazy setting of Leamont. I I will agree with that. I I don't think we've mentioned his name yet, so let's get it out there. This is a Yasumi Matsuno game, and the guy does not do cliched. No. Okay. I just might as well mention that canonically, according to Square itself, this game takes place in the same world as Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy XII. It's, okay, at the time, I don't think there's any logical connections there, but they kind of forced them into Final Fantasy XII since a bit later on. Basically, in Final Fantasy XII, the western continent is called Valendia. You don't ever visit it, but you see people from it. And that's you know, where this game takes place. And there's some other things, like one of the major religious orders from Fossil 12 is based off of the name of, of church in this game. But, and also there's, the thing is that the most powerful elements of darkness are this Leomond and Tites in Fossil 12, which I always thought was a kind of cool reference, like the one I really liked in that game. But I guess I'm digressing right now. Not, not too much, honestly, because Matsuno, you got to give the guy credit for creating one more or less cohesive world with every project he does. Yeah, and this this game's even referenced pretty strongly in like the Fallout Tactics Advance games, but that's a slight spoiler, which I guess we'll get to more in the <laughs> end of describing this. You see, well, the city is so alive with magic that just by being in it, people start developing weird powers, really weird powers. And Ashley Wright himself is not immune to this. And these weird powers are a major way of how the game is told. You see, later in the game, Ashley Wright develops the power to basically see distant things that are happening through the eyes of someone there. He just, everything goes dark, and he twists around, and suddenly his consciousness is briefly inhabiting the body of someone else in the city, watching his events unfolding and, trying to, and seeing their, through their eyes and thus learning more about what's going on in the city. And other people can develop powers, like Merlose, herself, the girl who was captured in the beginning, 
starts developing power, starts learning more about the people around her, and through her eyes, you start to get a better understanding of some of the influence are holding her captive. That sounds like a useful thing, considering I, I didn't really get much of her character from her brief appearances early on, except that she wanted to try and help Ashley, but was manifestly outclassed by his combat abilities. Yeah, basically she's there simply to give him information and support, but she's a little outclassed by all the crazy stuff going on. And Okay, the thing about Merlos, she's captured by the villains, but it's through her eyes he realized they're not actually the villains. Sydney lost Tero. He's a... Cra- At the start, he seems like a crazed, murderous maniac who's clearly put forward as the main villain, but he's not. The Sydney lost Tero no, is you, not the villain. kind of... I was kind of getting that even with his early dialogue because he says some interesting things that do not immediately peg him as a complete lunatic out to destroy the world or whatever the standard cliche would be. Yeah, he's actually a really interesting character. Exactly what he's trying to do, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, well... I believe it. Yeah, he's a really interesting character. And this is... Well, there's all kinds of ways this is highlighted in the game, not the least of which is at one point in the game you face off against the crazed member of the Cardinal's Knights. It's who uses his, the dark power he gained from Leia Mons to summon forth a terrible monster. Sydney's like, you know, you're being crazy. This thing's going to kill you. The guy says, I don't care. And so what happens is that Ashley Wright goes into battle with this thing, and Sydney there is backing you up as an ally, buffing you and healing you. It's like, that's how, like you're sent there basically to capture and kill Sydney, but there he is helping you. And yeah, even in the end, Ashley Wright never actually saves Merlokes. She's kidnapped at the end, she's portrayed systems of distress, kind of, but, you know, ultimately the villains just, you know, basically evacuated her out of the city safely on their own. And, and, and basically protect her more than anything. And it's really kind of complicated. And this gets, thing gets more complicated. We introduced, suddenly introduced the character of Rosencrantz. Yep, Gildenstorn is not alone. There's also Rosencrantz. Uh, there's probably a good joke in there somewhere. I think we see somebody who liked Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see, Rosencrantz is basically a mercenary hired on by Guildenstern, who has this interesting thing that when he shows up, he claims to know Ashley, even though Ashley does not know him. And he basically tells this wild story that's, oh, hey, Ashley, you and I used to be buddies. We, but we're both assassins. And you know what? You know that family you loved and cared about and how their deaths are your big motivation? No, the truth is you were the one who killed them. And there's just innocent people you've killed and keep feeling guilty about, and you've driven yourself mad and delusional thinking about that. And this becomes kind of the big central conflict in Ashley's mind. It's like, what's real? What's going on? Are my memories true? Are they false? Is this guy lying to me to confuse me? Or is he telling me the truth? I don't know. And that's... It gets really interesting how they portray this in the game. I... I don't want to. I won't spoil how they resolve this because it's one of the how this is resolved. How what what is the truth of that? Is I think one of the best parts of the game. So I'll leave that to anyone who wants to play it. Okay. Uh, uh, I I can't guarantee. I will make that struggle because it's <laughs> a struggle, but I will yeah. keep it in mind. Okay. 
And so, in the end, you understand what's, what Romeo Guildenstern is doing there. You under, and everything kind of falls into place. And, well, there's a big climactic battle in the very heart of the city. As you truly understand that, you know, the city was... The true nature of Leomond is that it, it itself is the grand grimoire, a giant text of tremendous magic power that whoever controls the city basically becomes the very pinnacle of magic itself and rules tremendous power over, over, over everything and can, can summon demons and bend the reality in, my, in my people's minds easily. At the start, Sydney is that person, but basically Sydney is... Well, he can't stay that for very long. He's looking for a successor. And ultimately, this is the true story, Vagrant's story, is people battling to become the successor to this tremendous power. That, that does make sense. Hmm? People tend to fight each other for power when, yeah. when available. Yeah. But, you know, it's a really cool story. And so I just, you know... Its directing is great. The music works well. Everything about the, this is just great storytelling in this game. Its presentation is wonderful across the entire length of it, and you know it's a really high bar, especially since it's you know it's one of the best looking PlayStation One games flat out. I will go that far. Yes, uh, yes, it's still polygonal. You're still going to go with uh, with Sydney's arms in particular. His fingers look emaciatedly thin. But, I always thought he was just wearing metal claws, honestly. But. Yeah, I'll throw – I haven't played a, a lot of this game, but uh, I'll, I'll throw this out there. You guys are right as far as – I remember playing it and farting around with it on PlayStation 1. It definitely looked good for its time. I'm sure on a big screen, a lot of people will probably say it doesn't hold up really great. But I'll put in another plug for the PSN version on your PSP, which is – I also downloaded there. Looks great. Looks great. PSP and Vita, definitely. And l- l- let's just get this out of the way. Does it look good by today's standards? Probably not. No. Does it look good by today's standards when you compare it to other PS1 games? Yes, yeah. it does. And when you shriek it down on a small three-inch screen, you don't notice most of the most of the problems. The, the, it's it's like it's like I think I've mentioned this before. I have a really hard time playing Final Fantasy VII on a big screen these days. The you know Cloud has what three polygons, and most of those are in his hair. <laughs> Uh, but you, you you throw that on a PSP, any of the old Final I played Final Fantasy IX completely on the PSP um, for the first time. Like, that was how I experienced Final Fantasy IX from beginning to end. Uh, and, and, yeah, on the smaller screens, the fact that these things have less polygons doesn't quite stand out as much. Especially yeah. on PSP, which didn't have a lot of polygons to begin with. Yeah, like, the only real weakness I can say about this game's presentation is that, you know, it really could have benefited from voice acting. Ooh, it's like you know, it yeah. works really well as is. It doesn't have any voice acting, and that's fine. But at the same time, you know, if this gone one more step towards Metal Gear Solid, it it would you know, it'd be probably be perfect. But you know, this is still a little early for full voice acting games. So yeah, I understand and Square that. Square didn't do that until PS2 era. So I, yeah, I can I understand why it wasn't done. Mm-hmm. And let's see. As long as we're talking about voice acting, let's talk about the sound. Um, Honestly, it goes for the atmospheric sound, which you won't really notice, even if you're trying to a lot of the time. But the tune I remember right now is um, when you're in a workshop trying to craft something. That's a very catchy tune. Yeah, I, it's 
been a little while since I can't, so I can't remember all the music very well. I know it's the same composer as Falsy Tactics and Falsy 12, right? Yes, I think it is Yasunori Matsuda. Yeah, so, I mean, this sound, it's going to be familiar to me when I just play those games in many respects, but... Uh, well, he, he and Matsuno work together a lot. They must complement each other somehow. So yeah, it, it won't be it won't come as a surprise if you played anything else by Matsuno. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think some of the, I think I don't really like this that composer's later works, but for Fossey Tactics and Vagrant Story, I've never had a complaint. Yeah, the music, the parts where the sound is deliberately atmospheric, and the sort of thing that you'd hear in that place, like dripping water or creaking floorboards. That's deliberate. And when it does yeah. have music, it's good music. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just helps so much with the kind of atmosphere of this game. Because, you know, the setting is such a big part of why this game really works. Because it's such an awesome setting. Makes sense to me. Yeah, so... Unless you're the type of person who absolutely can't stand to listen to the same thing over and over, then um, don't turn the sound down. Yeah. Plus, if you turn the sound down in this game, since it is an action game, you will probably get hit by surprise every now and again because things will Mm -hmm. just happen upon you right then. And there are a lot of important sound cues that for game mechanics, which I'll get to in a little bit. So you want to pay attention to those, too. That also sounds very familiar to me. Yes. So, well, we should... okay. Is it time to delve into the mechanics? Yeah, I guess there's a lot to say there. Oh wait, wait. let's let's do the easy part first. Let's wait, 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 don't... wait, 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 wait. The mechanics is a whole other beast. <laughs> so I think no, 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 I no, no, think no, no, Phil, be... Phil, 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 Phil. Let's let's leave combat aside for a moment. Let's talk about moving around the environments when there are no enemies, because even that is not necessarily self-explanatory. Hmm. Let me think oh, here. Well, I'll let you cover that one because because I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking we need to, before we we dive into the the, the huge <laughs> pool that is the combat. We're gonna need to take a break because that's huge. Okay, then let's get Fair the enough. let's get the environmental movements out of the way first. That won't take too long. Okay. But, all right. Here is where its age does show, I think, because you, you move around kind of slowly, and half the time you'll be crawling over things that you either wanted to jump onto or pick up. And there are box puzzles, and yes, they involve picking up boxes and putting them in different places until you find the right combination. And they get move- fairly elaborate later on too. There's a lot of these. And- I believe it. Even with the ones I was dealing with early on, I found they could get annoying because you need to have good placement and sometimes, like like many box puzzles throughout the ages, if you didn't get it, if you didn't get it on just the right spot, then you get to leave the room and try again. Yeah, and there's also some stuff like, you know, you need to use selective long-range attack spells to target particular boxes in order to make the puzzle work. Or and also, you know, if you go back to the puzzle again, it's it unsolves itself, and you need you get time for the second time to get a time to challenge for it. So that can get a little annoying sometimes. That's just that's just a wonderful part right there. Uh, yeah. 
you have to put your weapon away if you're going to do these if you're going to pick up boxes that may make logical sense but you have to have your weapon out if you're going to fight wet enemies or else they'll just hit you and you will be needing to rotate the camera around a lot to see everything you need to and i got to give it credit you can rotate the camera to every angle you might need it to there's there's no forced isometric perspective so i give it credit for that and you can use a first person camera to look around if you want which is you can work well i kept doing that by mistakenly hitting the right thumb thumb trigger and what do you know because that wasn't used on the PS1, it just activates the first-person view, which was usually not what I was wanting to do at the time. Ouch. And, oh yes, you will occasionally find those lovely traps on the ground. <laughs> Wait, did I say lovely? I may, have, I may want to use a different adjective in future when referring to these traps. Uh, I think there are the rare healing traps, but you know, those are pretty rare. There are, but this is another thing you'd think Ashley might notate for future use in case he goes over the same ground again. Ah, this is the part where I was hit with an ice spell. I might not want to step there again. Oops, I did it. That hurt. Maybe I shouldn't have done that again. <laughs> um... Yeah... You move around kind of slowly, but even in parts where there are pits, you don't die if you fall in the pit. You just lose some health. And since this game is kind enough to have your health automatically regenerating outside of combat, even inside of combat, but that's another story, then you don't need to worry about it too much. Just wait a minute and it'll come back. Uh, I'm sure it gets a lot more complicated later on, but... Even based on what I saw in the first few hours, you're you're gonna have to think about what you're doing a lot more than than most games. Just in moving around. Yeah, this is a real puzzle RPG. I mean, there's quite a few around that time, but this is definitely one of them. Yeah, and you probably want to make sure Let me think. Puzzle. Oh yes, they when you when you go into, you know what, treasure chest menus, I think that's close enough to, to all the combat mechanics that we can skirt in there pretty soon. What do you think, Phil? I think that sounds like a puzzle tactical single player <laughs> ad- action adventure RPG experience. Metroidvania at that. Yeah, Metroidvania. <laughs> Shoot. Well, yeah, the, before long, we're going to have to start talking about the inventory, and that's that <laughs> deserves a lot of discussion in this game. Yeah, there's a lot to discuss, gameplay-wise. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to take a tiny break. We'll play some, uh, some music and, <laughs> and get uh, ready to, uh, to inundate you with combat and inventory discussion. We'll be right back.
and he winds up and he hears the pitch. Welcome back. And our the two gentlemen tonight, Mr. Mike Minky and Mr. Nathan, are ready to discuss more vagrant story for your listening pleasure. And they've been winding up this pitch. It's going to be a doozy. So uh, this is uh, this is about the time you want to buckle in with your seatbelts to hell. You know, and I'm, and I'm here listening with you guys because, like I mentioned before, I've only played like an hour or so. And unfortunately, I got distracted by other things. So I'm I'm all buckled in. I got the cat in my lap. I got the cup of you know. Somebody tweeted. Was it a tweet? No, it was on the forum. It was on the forum. Someone said uh, Phil mispronounced something because his blood alcohol level is above. 0.8. You know what? I I don't know where those comments come from. Um, but our number for tonight is 40. Uh, that's the proof uh, of the mixture that I've concocted here. I believe it's about 40 or 50 proof. Um, so Phil, how big is that cup you're sipping vodka out of? How big is what? That cup you're sipping vodka out of. You know, have you ever have you ever gone to like uh, Seven Eleven and, and you know they've got uh, they've got the gulp, they've got the big gulp, they've got the super big gulp, and then they got this cup that's bigger than that. That's where I'm, and, and you know, really, it should just say a gallon jug on it because that's pretty much what it is. Uh, so yeah, I got those cups on sale from Walmart. They're red, and uh, you can put a lot of liquid in one of these things. So uh, I'll be enjoying this while you guys talk about the combat because I'm pretty Are you sure vodka on the rocks or straight. Uh, I do it on the rocks, and I usually mix it with whatever's in the fridge at the time. Now that can be grapefruit juice, orange juice. Uh, that can be another like a margarita mix. It really doesn't matter. I'm not very uh, discriminatory. I just threw it all into the big huge cup and mix it with a spoon and throw in some ice. So uh, that, that's what we're enjoying tonight, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking that whatever I've got in here tonight, mixed with the vodka, uh, it's like a chocolate mint type of deal. Uh, I'm thinking uh, this whole mixture together here is going to make your discussion, you two's discussion about combat and inventory management, a lot better. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure that by the time you guys are done, no matter what you say, I'm going to adore it. I'm going to run, rush out and load this up on my PSP. Yeah, just go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I guess. Minty fresh. All right, let's 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 begin with this is an action RPG. So the faster you can enter the battle screen after your previous action, the better. Yeah, basically every time – combat case basically occurs in real time. Enemies will attack you moving around. Every time an attack takes place, time briefly stops for the animation, but you can still move between those attacks. And enemies will move between those attacks. Yeah, they, uh, they love to practice hit and run, so you get to follow them. Yeah. However, you can basically, whenever you want, open up the screen and, and launch an attack. And when you do so, time pauses. You get a little kind of green wireframe sphere around you, indicating your attack range. Kind of originally reminded me of Parasite Eve, Eve One, but you know that's only there's no there's no ATB gauge in this game, so that's a big difference. You just attack as much as you want. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into how that is dealt with shortly, Um, and. Depending upon where you are with relation to the enemy, you may have more than one target. You might be at a point where only its uh, its legs are 
within targeting range, but then again, it might have the right arm, the left arm, the head, the body, or the certain you know, other things. Certain tail. base other pen- tail, the other four arms it has in addition to its main two. Yeah. Uh, it's weird creatures in this game. And, you know, each of these body parts basically have their own hit rate against them, they have their own defenses. So, you know, it can be hard to hit one body part, but easy to hit another one, and they you can do different weapons do different amounts of damage to the different weapon parts. So And and the game does display clearly for you the percentage chance of hitting something. Yeah, it gives you a lot of information about these attacks. But you know sometimes just they're all bad. And <laughs> we're gonna get into why in just a second. <laughs> yes, and um then you can switch weapons in the middle of battle, and you probably want to because yeah, you enemies are want to. enemies are vulnerable to different types of weapons. Body parts of enemies are vulnerable to different types of weapons. The legs might be vulnerable to some kind of blunt force mace, while the head might be vulnerable to uh, a rapier with is that, is that piercing or edged? I can't remember. I think it's edged, piercing, blunt. Wait, 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 guys, guys, well, let me understand this straight. I'm fighting a monster. You're telling me this monster, which probably has legs and a head, he's got... And a body. And a body. And you're telling me that each piece of his anatomy has a different strength and vulnerability? Yep. Okay, hold on here. I need to put a little more vodka in this in this mug. Oh my, Phil, you are going to be smashed by the time we get done. Sweet mother of mercy, who comes up with this stuff? Well, you gotta admit, Phil, you've never heard this before. This is not cookie cutter. No, no, I I have played... I've played bar RPGs in my life than than most people. No, I've never heard of this before. That's... uh, No, that's silly. And we, we aren't done, are we, Nathan? No, we're not even close to being done. So because, let's see here. Okay, now, when you initiate an attack, you can kind of, you place the attack animation. However, for a brief second window, if you hit one of the four face buttons on the PlayStation controller at that time, he will execute a chain attack. Which oh. means that you go, go one attack, and then following up with another one you've preset. Oh, yes, for the love of Pete. You cannot use the same attack twice in a row. You have, no, but uh, you can them. chain them in one attack into a different attack. Yep. And then that attack the, into another one. And the timing gets complicated. So and if, you if know, you're each good attack at... you do has a slightly different timing which you need to hit with it. Yep. Wait, 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 wait. You wait, wait, can wait. keep a chain going for a lot of hits. I think tens of times. About, Fifty times. A hundred times. I've seen over a hundred hit combos in this game. They can actually be a really effective strategy because the enemy can't attack back. They can't run away, right. and you're this guaranteed counts, to hit. This counts as one action from you in terms of yeah. how things are proceeding on the screen. So, um, but of course, you need to get your timing down flat. If you yeah. do not have good act- reflex timing, then you may be very, very screwed. <laughs> so I have to worry about... Oh, not also, al- these attacks are different, so you can inflict different status conditions and such on enemies with these. So. Or that you can replenish some of your own health. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, well, come on, guys. I haven't drank oh, that also, much yet. Also, when enemies attack you, you, you can get a brief window to defend against them with four different moves you can equip. No, no, no. no let's, one of the most useful I found was the one that reflects some of the damage back is, on is the enemy. Is this microphone on? Is this work? Okay, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hold on, guys. You guys give me a headache here. Okay, okay. Let, let, let's step, step back for a minute. 
I see big bad guy, right? So first, uh, how do I even know? Because he's got, heaven forbid he's a crab, he's got eight different legs. How do I even know what he's vulnerable against? Okay, we're going to get to that when we start to talk about weapon stuff, but, you know, this chain attacking is a big part of the game, so I don't want to interrupt Well, this. I was yeah. just, I was yeah. starting yeah. off with what you guys started off with, which was each part of his anatomy might be weak to something. How do you even know? Well, you know, you pick your weapons and you see how effective they are. It's really a process of, like, oh. you know, I've got this spear, so I'm going to go up there and, oh, hey, it's good against that weapon, that leg, but not that leg. Oh, trial and error, my favorite. Okay, so trial and error. Though I didn't use two hands much because if you use a two-handed weapon, you can't hold a shield, and the shield helps out a lot if you're going to take a hit. Yeah, shields really help a lot, but at the same time, you know, two-handed weapons, they've got more reach, which means you can more easily hit those rear parts that might be more vulnerable. I mean, there are some enemies in the game where, you know, their weakest parts are out of the reach of a one-handed weapon, flat out. You need a two-handed weapon or even hit the part which is most vulnerable. And, And based on my experience with the dragon that killed me, the enemy is going to constantly move around and try to keep its vulnerable part out of your reach because, you know, the tail is not the the end that the dragon would prefer to fight you from, so it's going to try and keep its head in your range. Okay. Which you probably don't want to hit. You know, so you, you're running around after it, make, trying to make sure that you're just in range to nail that tail, but the dragon is not going to cooperate with you. Or, you know, say there's bats, which, you know, they come in really fast and they run away really fast. So if you don't have a crossbow, it can be really hard to narrow them and hit them at all. Okay. 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 People, I live in Utah, which is just a stone throw away from Colorado. And in case you don't know this about Colorado, it's one of the few great states of our nation where certain drugs are now legal. So Phil may or may not have driven across the border, bought some of this questionable substance, brought it back across, stuck it into a case with glass that says break in case of emergency. I'm very close to breaking that glass. At the, so let me get this straight. So, so, so you're okay. So you're about to attack this guy. You got to do trial and error. You figure out what weapon you have that he's weak against or whatever have you. So then it initiates a quick time event for you to do a combo. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but, you know, we might want to break that glass soon because we haven't even started talking about risk yet. <laughs> well, it That's sounds true. like a risky proposition just approaching these guys. You don't even know what their strengths or weaknesses are. All right, oh. Phil. Let, let's delve into risk because we clearly need to bring that into, into the equation now. Wait, 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 wait. wait. If you fight a bat... As, as you use attacks, doesn't matter if they hit or not, your risk will grow. What happens when your risk grows? Your percentage of hitting the enemy goes down. So if you land a lot of hits quickly, then you will find that the next time you attack the enemy, your hit percentage will go from 100% to maybe 60%. Oh, also, as your risk increases, the amount of damage you take increases, I believe. That... Either that enemies get more accurate against you. I forget which it is. They're probably more accurate against you. Which does make yeah. more sense. I mean, you're, you're tired, it's harder to dodge things, so I, I get where that's coming from. Yeah, I think it's also, I think your damage increases slightly as risk improves, but you can't take advantage of that because if your risk hits really high, you can't hit enemies at all. Because like, you know, one point of risk is basically one point less of accuracy, and risk can go up to 100. So, you know, 100% accuracy becomes zero at 100 risk. Yeah, if you want to flail at the enemy uselessly and be guaranteed not to hit, be our guest. It'll be fun to watch for us. <laughs> 
And, you know, risk is kind of a pain to get down once it's up high. You can do it by putting your weapon away, since, you know, there's a weapon, there's a button to do that even in the middle of a fight. But that's not really that's a, a good way to die. It is a good way to die. Unless you've got some secret corner that the enemies are not going to find you in which, where you can hope to hide. It, it, which is why they call it risk. Get it? <laughs> Put the weapon... Get it? No. <laughs> So uh, better off using items. There are yeah, items that reduce risk. But yeah, there are, these are the Vera items, I believe. That sounds right. You know what? Yeah. I've got the I've got the game right here. Let's check the manual. Maybe it will tell us. And in the meanwhile, we can say that there are no stores in this game, so you are None dependent for, for these things it, on what you find from enemy drops. What you find from enemy drops, what you find out of treasure chests, basically. If you can't salvage it up, you don't have it. Everything is a limited resource, and there's no money to go off to buy a merchant to supply you with your basic needs, so you want to conserve things to, from when you actually need them. Yes, and your magic points do replenish during combat, but they replenish fairly slowly during a fight, and if you have just used the... You know, we're, we're going to delve into magic soon, I know, but... Uh, <clears throat> Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, there's another facet to this game? <laughs> you do learn... Oh, there's a, several more. Yep, we're, we're not done, Phil, not at all. But So your magic points slowly replenish, but if you're using anything, especially early on in the game, that comes with 15, 20 magic point charges, your, your mana pool will go down much faster than it regenerates, so... You might want to have to. You may have to use those items you've got. Those items that you cannot buy replacements of and are dependent upon enemy drops for to heal yourself if you're out of mana to heal. And in some of the fights I got through, I had to. They went on that yeah, long. There are fights that can go. If you don't have the perfect weapon for a fight, and trust me, you will not have the perfect weapon for a fight. Battles can get a little lengthy, or more than a little. Or more than a little, yes. <laughs> oh, okay, and... I'll admit, this is the game where I have seen entire boss fights get by, chipping by like an enemy with like thousands of health, doing like three damage at a time. Well, that I... sounds like fun. I took on the golem, which is what, the third boss, and I didn't have a blunt weapon. It took me 45 minutes to kill this thing by chipping away at it, doing two, three damage a strike. And yeah. I went with the legs because that was the the easiest place to hit. Maybe yeah, I should have know, gone with something else, but... Maybe. I think its arms are pretty vulnerable. It's been a long time since I've seen that particular golem fight. But... Yeah, that's the kind of thing where this game can wear on you a little bit if you're not careful. This is why you need... Well, we're going to get to weapons in a moment, so... Yep. We still need uh, to get to some of the weapons. Let's magic first, because we haven't... Some of the spells are really, yeah. really helpful. Like, uh, what is Full it? range of... Is it full range of... Prestasia, the one that increases your abilities, or the one that decreases the enemies? That improves your equipment's abilities. Okay. Prostasia is good for you, but I think it costs 18 magic points, and in the middle yeah. of a long fight, that can be... A big sacrifice. 
Yeah, basically you need to, you know, buffing yourself as much as possible before attacking is important. Debuffing enemies is important. You basically need to do both, and then even then you might not be doing that much damage. You need to revise your strategy a little. I forget how good Elm... Don't attack spells like use all of your mana in once? Not, no, they use a set amount, but the first attack okay. spell you learn takes 28 MP, and at that point you've got, what, 53? So you can okay. use it once before you have to sit there and wait for your mana to recharge a little bit. <laughs> yeah, good old Spirit Surge, though. Handy spell. Well, yeah, I guess several enemies that are, of course, resistant to everything you've got, and it kills them in one shot, that's good. Mm-hmm. I think it was yeah. those freaking... Oh, what 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 are they? Revenants, wraiths, th- those undead things that like yeah, to ghostly teleport around yeah. the room. Mm-hmm. So annoying! Don't just chasing them with your sword. It's so ineffective. But... Which I did for the first one because I uh, that that first one you deal with comes in a room with a sixty second time limit, and if you don't kill it inside the sixty seconds, then oh oh the door doesn't open. Sucks to be you. You get to try. Again. Yeah, there's. That's it. This is a kind of a puzzle game, and sometimes that involves fights being kind of puzzleish. So, yeah, think. <laughs> uh, yeah, you some fights. By the time you pick <laughs> apart their, their, okay, okay, okay. Here's another question: If I fight a bat, and I later on I see another bat, will he have the same vulnerabilities? Enemies are as long as it's the exact if it's same, the kind, same of bat, kind of bat. There's different kinds of bats, like what? One that flaps in the air and one that doesn't? What do you mean? I think there's a, (laughs) what is it, a crimson bat? Whatever the second kind of bat you see is. And you'll know it's different because it will take two hits from instead of one. Let's face it, the bats are not defensively strong enemies. And they only have one target, so it's easy to pick. You know, it's it's small bats. But for example, like, you know, You'll fight lizard men later on, but then you also fight dragon men a bit after that, and they're different things. So they look kind of similar, yeah, and you, but and you know, fight, they're still different creatures. I forget what they're called—the early dog things—but later you fight hellhounds, which look pretty much the same, different color, but they can also breathe fire at you. So yeah, there's a decent enemy variety. Yeesh. Um. Still okay. We've covered magic, which is helpful. And okay, random reference thing. The, the magic list in this game was strongly referenced for tactics over tactics ogre, or let us cling together for the PSP. Because you know, I think that game references Vagrant Stories magic list more than it does the original tactics ogre's magic list. Stuff like spirit surge and such. Hmm. Just random aside. Again, it's not that random because they're both Matsuno games. Yeah, I know. Just want to throw it out. That's it. Oh, and and the way you learn magic is a little different. You get you get certain items that until you actually use them in combat, you don't know the spell. And then once you've used it, bam, you you have learned this spell. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh yes. What what are they now, called? Isn't that the like break a casting the spell? You, what do you say? The break oh, arts. Break arts. Yeah, we suddenly covered those because you see. In addition to everything else, Ashley Wright also has this large repertoire of special attacks, which, you know, it's like, for example, basically, 
by using a weapon, taking a weapon and then using it to kill enemies, you slowly build up experience points with that weapon type to learn very special attacks. You can then, at the cost of a certain number of your own hit points, use these attacks for all kinds of crazy effects. For example, you know, you've got your basic, you've got your unarmed punching, kind of a weak weapon which isn't really worthwhile, but kill a few enemies and you learn to learn abilities to throw hadoukens around, <laughs> or take an axe and you can learn Mistral Edge and use it to hit with enemies with long-range wind attack with an axe. So they're kind of an odd fit with some other systems, but you know they can be really effective. And their cost is in some of your HP, which if you can take something out quickly, then you can just wait for your HP to re- replenish after the battle's over. And also, you know, healing spells are generally a bit more ex- a bit more efficient than attacking spells. So, you know, it might be yes. worthwhile to just throw a couple to attack break arts and then heal yourself up with a spell rather than throw a spell around. Oh yes, I know Phil's going to love this part. How after each boss, you get to choose from a stat enhancement that is determined by a slot machine rolling, and you hit the and you hit the button, and then you get the bonus that you might or might not want. <laughs> yeah, there's no level of mechanic in this game, is there? The closest I guess we come is by killing enemies, then you learn more break arts, but mm-hmm. you, you yeah, certainly no... aren't going to be able to power your way through this game with brute force because you killed 10,000 enemies early on. No, you, you won't be able to at all. Basically, your real strength in this game comes from your equipment, and I guess it's about time we finally talk about that, since that's really the biggest thing in this game. Yes, and... and really, okay, this is the point where I just must admit that the very first time I played this game, I gave up right after the first dungeon. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I, was the game my head does the not wall. do I... a very good job of explaining to you. It tells you, yes, this is important. It does not tell you how to do it. Yeah, it's basically, I played this game, I banged my head against the wall, it's like, you know, I give up, I'm returning the rental. And then later I read a review about the game that explained some things, gave such glowing praise, it's like, you know, I need to give this game another chance. And so I did something different. I pulled the game out, I went into the options menu, and I switched on a particular option hidden in the options menu, in which it tells you how your weapons change as it does so. And this well, I thought you game. were going to say there was an option hidden that says, I just win the game, yes or no. Well, no, it's not that easy. But you know, basically, the game has a thing where it can give you a little heads-up display that, oh, hey, your weapon has changed slightly. And this is important because, you know, that's the core element. As you use your weapons, they change. You pull out a sword and use it to kill a bunch of zombies, and by the time you're done killing zombies, it's better at killing zombies. But here's what I've since learned. If you kill other things than zombies, then it will become worse at killing zombies. <laughs> yes, exactly. You see, you, it, it becomes better at, one, at the one thing you're using it. But it becomes worse at the opposite. And there's kind of a complex correlation between things. Like, I think zombies and dragons are opposites or something. So if, it's good, it can, if you get a weapon good at killing zombies, it gets worse at killing dragons and so forth. It can be a little confusing, but... Especially since, you know, there are three different categories in which a weapon changes. It's based on three different pages on the weapon list. There's first, 
its affinity, its elemental attributes. This is far and away the most important, which is why it's buried on the second page of the weapon lists, which is <laughs> so random. I know, I know Phil each, loves that, when the most critical piece of information you have to hunt for. Right, yeah. Phil? Hold on, I'm taking another swig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sounds like a great idea. Keep going. Okay, so basically, as you use a weapon, it changes its elemental affinity. It's become more effective against what enemies are fighting. So, for example, if you hit a hit a zombie, it becomes more light affinity. If you hit, I don't know, a fire dragon, it becomes more ice affinity or water, whatever it is. And when it hits a certain threshold, the weapon, the, basically, affinity on itself is useless. What is important is what is the highest affinity. Because whatever the highest, whichever of those categories is the highest number, the weapon switches to that element. And only then does it get its true power. And this can be a pretty massive threshold on effectiveness. Because it, you can do a lot more damage with the right element weapon than you can without. If you're just wandering around using a physical weapon, using the same weapon against everything, you're never going to get an actual elemental affinity. But if you use specialize, then you can get one. And that becomes very powerful. Um... The second category is it's just en- the enemy type effectiveness. So there's a listing of all the types. There's undead, there's human type enemies, there's dragons and beasts. I think there's like evil as one. I, I can't remember the exact listing. There's like five or six of these. Why is there every is enemy there fits- category? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I remember this. I remember whatever weapon I was using, it was some uh, one-handed sword of some, time, of some type, and it was supposedly really, really good against dragons. It's, it had a 20 against dragons. But, um... I can't remember. It was, well, if I got a 20 against least... dragons, it should kick every dragon's butt, right? In theory. But, you know, there's the other two types, because it's also, the elemental affinity. So, like, you know, even if it's like a plus 40 dra- fire dragon weapon, in, like, it's, like, if you've been using to fight the lizard, fight dragon men who are mostly water elemental, you get a nice, powerful fire sword for fighting dragons. However, if you then turn around and fight a fire dragon, it's going to be useless because why? Fire dragons, you know, resist fire. So, you need a water dragon weapon to fight that fire dragon. Sweet mother of mercy. <laughs> And there are dragons of every element, I assure you. Of course there are. And each of them you have to fight because they're, they're more or less bosses. bosses. Yep. So also, because there's also, and also, you know, even then, if you have the water dragon weapon, it might not work if it's the wrong type. You see, in addition to the previous two, there's also the slash piercing or edge type weapons. And the blunt piercing edge type weapons. And, you know, hammers are blunt and swords are edged. And basically, this is strongly determined by what kind of weapon it is. But, yeah, you know, it needs to match up right. Okay. Random tip an edged wind elemental human weapon is actually a really effective weapon to get in the game, but you're going to get one pretty easily based on the way the plot goes. But. Okay, so I've gotten the one element I think I need to handle this game now. It's the element called vodka, and uh, <laughs> I'm just drinking it straight out of the bottle now. Keep going. Okay, so, yeah. Oh, oh, 
you can make your weapons. You can combine pieces of them together. Right? Yep. You see, you can basically take various weapons and basically every weapon is composed of two parts, the hilt and the blade. Uh, you can basically take a sword and say, you know, you know, this sword is nice, but I don't have enough inventory space for it. So you can just disassemble it. And this, you know, you can carry twice as much in terms of blades and hilts as you can carry actual weapons. So this is kind of handy for looting things. However, you know, you can then basically disassemble it and then you can go to a workshop and say, you know, I like this hilt and I like this blade, so I'll combine them. And this creates the, it's in the final weapon and it combines the properties of the two pieces. So if you take a fire elemental hilt and a neutral blade, you can combine them to get a fire elemental sword. And if that's not enough for you, you can then take. You can also at workshops say, you know, I, you know, I don't like either of these blades, but you know, if I fuse them together, it'd be awesome. So you can do that. You can take one blade and take another blade, hammer them together, and get a mix of their attributes. And, and of course, this is not particularly well explained in the game. You just here. Here's a workshop. You get. You can. You can disassemble and combine weapons here. Have fun. That's yeah. that's about the length it goes to to explaining what you can do with this. Yeah, it's also kind of very open ended because this game doesn't use a very it does not use a very linear web pro- progression. You got rapiers and swords, but it's not like you know the sword then the sword plus one then the sword plus two. It's nothing like that. Instead, the game is each weapon in the game is composed of one of five different materials: bronze, iron, hagane, silver, or Damascus. Outside of silver, which is basically specially built for light elemental anti-undead weapons, it is kind of generally better. Iron is better than bronze. Hagane is better than iron. And Damascus is better than Hagane. But you can do little little interesting tricks. For example, if you can take a bronze rapier and then combine it with an iron rapier, you can combine them to get a Hagane rapier. As long as they're the exact same category, you can combine a bronze plus iron to get Hagane, which is significantly better than the previous ones. However, you know, once you have a Hagane Rapier, that weapon can serve you all the way until the end because, you know, Damascus is really rare and mostly available in the post-game. So you can get Hagane weapons really early and then use them to tell them through the game. You know, I, the, the, the composition medals were discussed in the facts that I was looking at, but IDing the composition medals and how to get them was... Uh, a matter I never quite understood, although I, I suppose I could try it again and just keep combining until something good happens. Well, as I said, it's basically, you know, there's a little icon next to every weapon's name, which is like a little, little blue B for bronze, a little white I for iron, and a little green H for Hagane. And then basically, you know, to get Hagane, the base, most important thing early on is to get Hagane, so you combine bronze and iron. Or basically, one two items of the exact same, two of the same name with different materials, and then you get that same name and the better material afterwards. I don't think the game actually explains this at all, but this is actually no, it does out. not. <laughs> it does not. I played it recently. It does not explain this. Even the facts were not too clear on it. But, yeah, I, I get it. Hagane is really strong. How do I get Hagane? Oh, I combine. Other metals. What are the? Where are the metals? How do I combine? How do I know what I'm combining? That's a great question. Thank you, fact writers, for not filling me in very well. <laughs> I, and I looked at at least four facts. But yeah, there should be a little icon next to each weapon name that 
it tells you what material it is. It can be a little hard to see if you don't know what you're looking for, but it's there. Well, now that I know what I'm looking for, that helps. It's a little letter. But... Okay. I'll keep my I'll keep my eyes peeled. Does does every did every game maybe I missed this when I bought this way back in the day did every game come with a coupon for a free course at Cornell University because that's what you need to figure this stuff out. Hmm, free course at Cornell. I don't know. I don't think even the average Cornell student would have much of a shot with this if you just threw them at it. Average Cornell student would probably yeah. need to spend many hours with the game trying to figure out. Yeah, this is a game you just kind of need to mess with and experiment with, and you know, you need to be patient. And the thing is, like, even once you understand some of the basic, even once you have a full range of Hagane weapons, at that point, it's like, you know, how do I combine them? I want better weapons, but it's like, you know, I've got this weapon I've been building up, but I want to turn it into this other kind of weapon. What? There's all these trade-offs and like question of what you're losing because when you combine two weapons, it can turn out weaker than the previous weapon or less optimized because it combines their strengths and weaknesses. So it can get all messy. Or to be more precise, it averages out their strengths and weaknesses. So if you have a highly built-up light weapon combined with a neutral weapon, you can only half as light as the previous form. And this is, can be kind of a complex art, which, you know, basically, weapon building is really complicated, but, you know, unless you have the right weapon, it's really hard to progress. So, this game yes, can be... Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I just want yeah. to emphasize that. Yeah, unless, I, I guess the example like, of... of that, well, you said unless you kind of like poking away, doing barely single-digit damage with each strike against enemies with and it gets higher than a couple of hundred HP. Yeah, it can get thousands of HP, actually. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. It, it can take thousands of HP, and, you know, you need to build the right weapon. And, you know, as you said, you got stuck against the dragon, right? Well, I mean, last time I played the game, I probably got stuck against that same dragon. Because, you know, you have these nice weapons that are working all the way through to your point, and suddenly you're fighting this fire dragon, and you know, not a weapon you have will actually work. And I suppose this is the point where we're supposed to go back because, you know, this is the first point in the game where you have real access to a workshop. And this is where you need to really mess with weapons to get the right weapon to get through. And it, it can be difficult. Fortunately, there are some nice shortcuts, and these are gems. Because every weapon has a certain number of gem slots, and gems you can basically put into a weapon and get immediate boost to certain properties. And, you know, these can be really helpful and really powerful. And once you're done with that weapon, you can take the gems right back out and reuse them for another weapon. And so managing these gems can be really important and helpful. And it's a big shortcut for dodging on some of the difficulties of this game. I swear I found some Dragonite gem, but you can only put it onto uh, a pole arm, I think. Hmm. It definitely wasn't the the weapon I was using most at that point. Although now that yeah. I know I should have been switching my weapons constantly, that is no longer yeah. an issue. You, you really need to specialize your weapons out pretty thoroughly. because you know, At the very least, have one weapon of every element. I think it's the simplest way to go through this game. Take one weapon, build it up, up against the enemies with that element. It's, the other effects can be a little less effective, and the type, the, uh, 
the blunt edge edged piercing thing is gonna be an issue, but as long as you have that element, you're at a good starting point. Oh my gosh. So you got element, you've got blunt edge sharp and blade whatever, and you've got racial strengths and weaknesses. Yep. And to do max damage they all need to line up. Yeah, I mean, and depending on how many, you know, races there are, that sounds like, I don't know, dozens of permutations of combinations you could have to oh, try to have optimized forget, weapons. Phil, don't, don't forget to get your reaction times down so that you can try chaining. Oh, uh, you, more than just that, this game is literally unwinnable if you can't pull off these chain moves. That sounds about right. Well, you yeah, know, no, I, I, I was going to end this show with the, is it fun today? But I, I think you guys have pretty much answered that question. Oh, no. Okay, <laughs> let me just say one thing. That unwinnable thing, like, the final boss will use a move. If you don't use the exact right counter move at the exact right moment, you will die. Flat out. Oh, that just sounds like so much. This is getting better. But hold on, need another, another swig. Uh, okay, the game's getting better. <laughs> well, okay, Nathan. <sighs> You, you might as well fill me in on how the New Game Plus works. Oh, the New Game Plus, that's... I never messed with as much, but there's a lot of content in there. This game has you know, a giant optional super dungeon you can access without a New Game Plus. Then you can carry stuff... I don't remember exactly how much you can carry through. I think a bunch of equipment, maybe your abilities. You know, it's been a long time, I never really messed with it that much. However, you know, there's a lot of special doors in the game which are marked with something called the Root Inverse. Basically, the door will only open if you have the root inverse. What the root inverse is, is a new game plus mode. Hmm. And so there are a lot of areas in the game, alternate paths, hidden zones, special things to find, so it can only be done on new game plus. Also, in addition to that, the wait, game wait, is wait. a challenge. Is it called new game plus or new ulcer plus? New game. Also, in addition to that, this game has challenge modes. Basically, well, basically... Every time you run through the game, the game checks, have you completed a challenge? And these challenges are basically, you've run through the game under certain conditions and succeeded. And these conditions can be pretty extreme, actually. I forget some of the requirements are, but, you know, they're, they're not like little hand-me-down achievements you're going to get pop up on your screen and say, oh, you've done this, that's some utterly trivial thing. No, like, you can probably play through the game a dozen times and not get a single one of these. Yeah. So again, yeah, there's a lot. again, Phil, this is not cookie cutter. You've never heard of this before. No, no, I, I can't imagine why. That's I'm just sitting here asking myself why why hasn't somebody come up with this idea before or since? You know, I just I've been a loss for words. You know, just also you know, I love this game. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm talking how complicated it is, but still, I really like this game. I mean, the story is great, the atmosphere is great, the combat is fun. I mean, the basic action combat is fun. I mean, yes, it hits that frustrating point where you don't have the right weapon. None of your weapons are the right weapon. Say and, that and frustration, you, it hits that frustration point that you know oh, you run into right at the beginning of the game and last until the end is, is that the point you're talking about no i mean sometimes <laughs> battles go amazingly smoothly like you know it's really easy to build up an anti-human wind element weapon and suddenly there's an earth elemental human boss hey like, even a bro- i've got the right weapon for even you, a broken guys. clock is right twice a day <laughs> there's a lot of good strategy in this game it's not easy it's not exactly 
obvious at first, unless you, you know, turn on that little menu that describes how your weapons are changing as you fight. And it certainly would help to do the one thing I never did and figure out how the analyze spell actually works. It's like, you know, the game gives you a spell to analyze enemy weaknesses and understand them. I never figured out how to actually access the info it gives you, which is kind of hilarious in retrospect. It's like, this is like the perfect tool I need to get to the game and I don't know how to use it. Oh, uh, my ulcers. <laughs> well, last so, I checked, Phil, ulcers are not aided when you put alcohol on top of them. Hush! You don't judge me! <laughs> judge this game instead, because it sounds like it well, needs judgment. Well, I will go along with Nathan at this point. If I was had the time to put in right now to where I could understand all of its systems and you know, we're probably forgetting things even as it is. There's just that much going on here. Yeah, you know, it's not as complicated as a certain random saga games. I'll say that. It, it's more approachable than those. I thought you were going to say that it's not quite as complicated as quantum mechanics. Close, but not there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. You sure you don't need a spreadsheet just to keep track of your inventory and which weapons you're trying to make anti-human and anti-fire oh, but eyes? Phil, or... This brings up the chests that you have to use in the game because your Ashley has limited personal inventory, so you're going to have to put things away and come back for them later, or else you're constantly going to be getting messages saying that you don't have room for this. Wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight. And first, you guys are explaining to me that in order to be effective in this game, especially if you want to be successful, you're going to have this vast permutation of weapons, right? Ah, Anti-human, elemental, blunt, sharp. But then you're going to tell me that as well you have limited inventory space? If I I remember right, you have space for eight weapons at a time, right? Yeah, eight weapons, or alternatively 16 blades and hafts. However, the ones you have equipped on your current weapons count against the 16 blades and hafts, so it's basically eight complete weapons and up to eight incomplete weapons. Plus, you know, this is trapped by category, so for example, you know, items like potions you carry don't count against your weapon limit, and gems you're carrying don't count against your weapon limits so you know it's not really restricting you in that way but yeah again there's just eight weapons you have which is really more than enough honestly you only really need like four or so to get through most normal enemies and you need like maybe one special one for that tough boss else that you want to build up but it does mean that you need to pick the weapons you're going to have with you don't yeah, just you... Keep, don't just keep swapping them around don't keep swapping them around you need to well I mean, you do want to build them up, so you want to keep it to a pretty limited pool, but, you know, you can't just carry an infinite amount of loot. I don't find it, I've never found it too restricting outside of, you know, hey, I can't carry all these weapons I pick up for these treasure chests, but, you know, that's pretty minor compared to, you know, I don't know, I found the eight was plenty for my uses in the game. You only really need five or six if you want to go with a simple approach. But what if I need an anti-fire blunt human weapon? No, if you've got a fire weapon, you're most of the way there already. If you've got blunt and fire, you're pretty much you know, the humans, pretty minor. And that's the thing: there is a strict priority in which ones are important or not, and that makes it really easy to sort out. It's just you know the game's not very clear about telling you how that works. That that much is very very true. Remember this: read facts. You need help for this game, or else you're just going to be blundering around wondering. 
What? Huh? So, yeah, so what I, you're saying is... I got is... to this game without a fact, actually. This, it's better than I can say about some games. I got to this game without a fact. Mm. It, it's... I uh, applaud no. your dedication, good sir. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Wow. Um, I got a headache, and I can't tell if that's because of a hangover or because of everything you guys have just said. It's probably the, the latter, since you just drank it. You're going to get the hangover in the morning, dude. <laughs> so, uh, are there any other major elements to the game before we wrap this up with the very important question that we always ask? Is there anything else you guys can think of? I'm struggling to think here. Because you're sure you've only spoke for like the last 45 minutes on the combat mechanics alone. (laughs) Um, hmm. So, so the question... Oh, 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 yes. The inventory should have been a lot faster to access. I wish there was some use for the shoulder buttons in combat. Oh, right, yeah. Weapons. This game has a nice kind of quick access menu for telling for you access different things like your spells, your items and such. What it doesn't have is a quick weapon change button, even though you really need to be changing weapons often. Yeah, a lot, the the, a lot of the interface just feels like it needs some modernization. It It's kind of clunky by today's standards. But no, it's when clunky you by then, weapon, the weapon changing is the big thing that it needs, and that's the, that you know, is obvious back then it needed it. Well, I would have liked to quick, instead of having to go through several layers of the menu in order to use a healing item, maybe having that as a Oh, there is a quick item use button. I must not have found it. Okay. It's, it's, you can pull up a quick menu mid-battle to use spells, items, or break arts. I forget what the controls are, but it does exist. Okay. Uh I do wish you didn't have to go through the whole animation of Ashley putting away his weapon and then taking out the new one every time you switch things, because that that kills the pacing too. Yeah, well, it does. It's a, there's a certain trade-off there, but it can be annoying. But I mean, yeah. Also, random note: for some reason, remember to always have your weapon out and you cast a healing spell. For some reason, it makes them twice as effective. I did notice that. You'd, you'd think that you'd want to have the weapon down because then you're your risk is going down, your MP seems to regenerate faster, but no, it's just a hell of a lot more effective with your weapon. Yeah, the, you know, the exception to this is if you happen to have an, a, a, a gem equipped that makes you evade magic spells, because then you can evade your own healing spell. <laughs> I missed that part. Uh, th- there we go, Phil. That sounds like another element you'd love, right? I'm sorry. He lo- he loves it so I, much. I've replaced you all with the cup of vodka. Well, uh, I don't think you're going to get much conversation out of that cup, especially at the rate it's disappearing. (laughs) So wrong. Just so wrong. You guys have completely, completely talked me out of interest in this game. You just just don't understand. No, no, it's not. No, no. You know, here, let me help you out here a little bit, okay? It, there are people that I, I used to know this woman who was abused by her husband and, <laughs> and you know she just I, I, I explained to her that this was not a healthy relationship but and she would agree with me for just a few moments but then she'd run right back to it you know there was just something that kept dragging her back 
this game is complex, but that's what I like about it. There's a lot to get into, a lot to think about, a lot to work off of. It's you know, it doesn't just hand everything to you. It has to no, be like, it hey, put, figure it this puts stuff you, out. And I it love puts that you, about. It, it says to you, you either figure out the quadratic equation or, or the, the whatever it is, the secret of life equation or whatever. Cold fusion. Cold fusion. Or I'm going to put you over my lap and spank you. That's what this or, game does. You know, the game does always let you just use brute force to break your way through, just blunt trauma to everything. You know, enough chain attacks, enough, enough of your own risk reduction items, you can beat anything. And you know, there oh. is always that option. Oh, Nathan, we didn't address how y- your body parts can take damage, and that'll affect your battle performance. Oh, right, yeah. You can, like, take damage to your legs unless you move slower. You take damage to your arms, you hurt, hit less hard. Or you can play this game and take damage to your head and just have a headache and pass out. Well, in the game, you take damage to your head, your magic prowess. I think you forget how to cast spells for a while, right? Oh, for the love of Pete. That's something like that. It's been a while since I forgot about this. But yeah, can't you do this to enemies, too? I can't remember. I think so. I, I remember that that mage you're fighting at the... After you take out his two friends, then if you hit his head, then he'll be unable to cast spells for a while. He'll bop you with his staff instead. But I guess I wasn't hitting his head quite enough because uh, he would eventually pull out his amazingly unending stash of magic point replenishment items and throw his spells at me again. (laughs) It sure was... That tells you how long I was fighting him. I think he pulled out about a dozen or more magic point replenishing (laughs) items. Yeah, I don't remember this fight being that hard. (laughs) I don't want to say. Yeah, you guys need... I must not know what the hell I was doing then. (laughs) <laughs> no, you guys just need intervention. That that's all there. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know we're gonna get some friends together. I'm gonna sit down with you guys because cause there's some help needed here. It's just you're being abused. You're just being ab- abused. Awesome game, seriously. <sighs> oh my goodness gracious! You're not gonna stop Phil's chant of the abuse with that one, Nathan. <laughs> oh. Here's the scary thing. Okay, so at the end, we like to ask, you know, is this is this game really fun? Apparently, Nathan believes that it is. And I will say, take, you need to give it a chance. You need to think about things. You need to, you know, let it beat you up a little bit. The one menu option which is disabled by default for some reason. But. Let it give you a black eye. Let it hit you in the stomach. Yeah, games aren't worth playing if they don't doesn't have some amount of challenge involved. Oh, it, it has thought. challenge, all right. <laughs> here's here's a here's here's the thing, Nathan. Apparently, and I don't know if this supports your position or it doesn't, but apparently the 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 the, the pool of critics at the time agree with you. The review scores for this game when it came out averaged a nine out of ten. Electronics Gaming Monthly, 9 out of 10. Fa- uh, Famitsu, 40 out of 40. GameSpot, 9.6. IGN, 9.6. AllRPG.com, 8.7. PSX Extreme, 9.6. Metacritic gives it an average of 92%. Game rankings, 91.97. Effectively, a 92. It is one of the highest rated RPGs. 91.97? Yeah. How the hell was that calculated? Uh, you know what? Probably with the same formula <laughs> they used to build the combat in this game. Okay? It's got a lot of variables. 43, yeah, 43 reviews averaging 92%. So, 
I'm thinking that this whole, uh, you know, abuse leads to love thing is, like, widespread now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, I'm really glad I read one of those positive reviews because, you know, that's why I played the game a second time, and I really am glad I did. It's, you know, it can be a little hard to get into, but if you get past that point of, I don't know what I'm doing, then you find a really good game. A game which can be frustrating at times, but... I could one nonetheless. Especially since it's got some of the best storytelling I've ever seen in an RPG. I just, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, here's the funny thing. Uh, Mike Miki will appreciate this most of all. When you look at the, uh, the reviews at uh, RP Gamer, uh, most of them are pretty high, but Otterland did only give it a 3 out of 5. I seem to remember somebody else gave it a 2 out of 5. Yeah. Otter... Yes, as we know, Otter's reviews are a category unto themselves. We don't have a recent review from a name that I actually recognize, and I've been around for a few years, so perhaps it's time for one of you two to uh, to do a revisit, a retro view review. But uh, I, will, I will go ahead and just read, uh, just to kind of back up Nathan's point, a review, uh, the last paragraph here from... Epoch-kun, or Etchup, I, I can't pronounce it when I've been drinking this much. The complex battle system, spot-on visuals, and perfect musical score aren't enough to warrant picking up Vagrant's story. On those merits alone, the game would be a basic enough dungeon crawl, but the style with which everything is executed and the plot that ties it all together certainly justifies the purchase. Vagrant's story is immensely satisfying gaming experience that's still just as impactful today as it was the day of its release. And any RPG fan should be proud! to make it a worthy addition to their gaming library. We don't list the date that these things were posted, do we? No, but because it's using the old review scoring system, I'm going to take a, a stab in the dark and guess it was a really long time ago. At least nine <laughs> years ago then, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So we need a yeah. we need a more up-to-date review just to say whether or not it's it's truly fun today. Yeah, I will say that, honestly, of all of the mods in our games I've played, I've liked this one's story the best of his. So... Yeah, based on what I played, the storytelling is really well done, and Matsuno is a guy who does not delve into any of the the standard cliches that you get with so many RPGs, and that that's what makes his games interesting. He embraces the shades of gray instead of just having everybody be clearly good or clearly evil. So, I can tell you that, uh, I, you know what, I still have my doubts, I think, I think some of y'all are just used to being beaten up a lot, but the, the critics back you up, the reviewers at RP Gamer back you up, um, as far as how much it costs, uh, I would highly recommend to our listeners that if you have a PSP, a PS3, or a Vita, you go ahead and you grab the PSN version, uh, that will run you five ninety nine. Uh, I've seen it on sale as low it's a great as great price for this game. Yeah, and I've seen it as low as two ninety nine. And the one thing, the one thing I tell you, you know, I tell people, you know, people say, hey, you got a huge collection of games. Do you play them all? No, I'm a collector, so I like having a big collection of games. Um, even if I don't get to all of them, I like knowing that they're there. So if I want to pick something off the shelf, I've got it. And one of my criteria for what goes in my collection and what doesn't is whether or not the game is original. And there's no doubt that this game has a number of original qualities from what you guys have described. Yeah, I've never played a game quite like it. I mean... And you never the... will. Neither have I. 
think if you look at it sideways and squint, Dark Souls is kind of similar, but, you know, that's about the closest I can say. I would kind of like to see a, rever- a revamp of this done if Matsuno feels like it, just because some of the things that afflict it right now are pro- are problems with uh, the time it was made, and if you if you if in particular make its inventory a lot more accessible, then that would clear up a lot. Hmm. Uh, so I would highly recommend that if you have one of those systems, you you grab that version, especially if you got the PSP or Vita. I think you'll enjoy the uh, the fact that it's on the go. You have it in your hand, and the smaller screen makes the graphics, uh, the older graphics, more tolerable. Um, I, I that would be the way I would go. But if you if you're stuck with a PlayStation One or PlayStation Two still, then you can grab the disc off of Half.com in uh, used condition for around twenty twenty five bucks. But of course, our gamers demand the best. They demand brand new in the shrink wrap with the original black label, and that can be obtained for the low, low price of about 120 bucks. <laughs> so, knock that yourself. That is a low, low price. Actually surprisingly low. That's surprisingly low. Personally, me, I go for the PSN version for five ninety nine. But hey, that's know, just, just compared me. to other games that you know, I would expect this to be a bit more rare than that. But I guess it wasn't. So, thank you. Yeah, you can get the used. You can still get the used one at least, uh, somewhat reasonably, if you're still a, a collector of disc. Well, uh, thank you, gentlemen, very much. We'll be uh, taking a break, let you recover from being abused, and we'll be uh, right back. We're gonna do an RPG check segment, RPG Trek segment, right after this. is the RPG check segment in case you've been hiding in a cave. I've been on an, a trek of epic proportions determined to go through every Dragon Quest slash Warrior game in order. I have just recently completed Dragon Warrior 4. I've discussed 1 through 3 on previous RPG backtracks in the not, not too distant past there and have also been journaling my trek online at our forums at rpgamer.com I highly encourage you to go over to those forums and check it out. We'll have more details at the end of the show about how you can not only follow my trek but become part of the conversation and even join me whenever you want. Jump on the trek. It's a trail. I welcome people to join me for part of it or the whole thing. Whatever makes them happy. And, of course, you can engage in conversations about RPG Backtrack episodes and so many other topics related to your favorite hobby, which is, of course, role-playing games. So, today on the RPG Trek, we are now, going... Now, Phil, as I recall, you had an experience with the DS version of this a couple years ago that ended due to nothing wrong with the game itself, but from an outside force of malevolence. 
Hmm. Hold it. First, we got to do the proper introduction. Okay. Okay. Because we got I, my editor in chief says you have to properly introduce the games. So for for what we're talking about today is Dragon Quest Four, but I'm gonna start off introducing Dragon Warrior Four, which was originally released uh, by uh, developed by hmm, Chunsoft published by Enix. This was originally released in North America on September 16th, 2008. And a single-player RPG experience for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, now, wait, wait, what? It was released on the NES in 2008? Did I, did I say 2008? Yes, you did. Well, you heard yeah. it right, oh, 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 I'm sorry, October 1992. Good lord, I'm getting old. <laughs> Sweet mercy. Then... <laughs> Woo! Gotta gotta lay off the sauce, uh, and 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 then yes, we are going to be talking specifically today about Dragon Quest Four Chapters of the Chosen, which was essentially a port of that NES classic released in North America on September sixteenth, two thousand and eight, on the Nintendo DS, and of course both of them are single player RPG experiences. But yes, many moons ago. About what three years ago? I want to say, Mike. Um, Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I picked it up when it uh, a little bit right after it came out when it went on sale. Whatever. Took a year or two to get around to it. Popped into my DS, started playing through it, and um, I I would carry my Nintendo DS wherever I went. And at one point in the hotel, I was blowing off some free time. Had uh, taken it out and left it on a on a table in a public area. Walked away for a little bit. Realized literally it could have been more than sixty seconds that I had left my DS out. Ran back and it was gone. Now the DS is was probably about fifty dollars or so to replace with it. The DS itself is not worth that much, especially in the used condition. But what really made me raise my fist in the air and yell, "Come!" was the fact that I had lost over 20 hours of progress in Dragon Ouch. Quest Four. Yeah, I mean, I worked so much, it, you know, and it wasn't the $50 um, plus the $20 probably to replace the cartridge as much as it was the fact that I had lost 20 or so hours uh, in this RPG. So I replaced the game, I replaced the cartridge within a couple of weeks, uh, but by the time I got the the replacement cartridge, I was like, okay, I, I I hate doing things over again for any reason. I hate games that make you do stuff over if you die or whatever. I especially hate uh, games like, let's say, I don't know, Diablo, where if you pick the wrong thing, you basically have to start the game all over again to, to optimize your character enough to beat the game. You know, I, I don't have that time. I don't. Uh, so I didn't want to play Dragon Quest again. So it went back on the shelf and went into the backlog. So, yes, but for this RPG trek, it was necessary to pull that back out. And thankfully, at my age, where you forget things rather quickly, especially with some of the habits I have, um, I put that in, and it's like a brand new game all over again. Uh, anywho's, uh, Dragon, Dragon Quest Four. I originally played this way back in the NES days. My mom had given it to me as a birthday present. And my original impression of the game was that it was incredibly simplistic. I I had played Dungeons Dragons games on the Commodore 64 and the PC before this, where you have... Oh, Phil, hmm. if you still had that complete original NES version, 
that would be worth a nice chunk of change now. Yeah, I don't, but thanks for bringing that up. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. That, See, I, I'm good for so many things. That went in a yard sale, I'm sure, a long time ago when Mom cleaned out my room. Uh, and your, mom, your mom will no doubt kick herself if she realizes that she could have re- recouped maybe 300 bucks for it. I, it's probably worth that much by now. Well, let's take a look here. Uh, the minimum price I'm seeing is $70 for a cartridge only. Now, I had the instruction book, uh, so I'm going to presume I could have gotten more than 70 bucks for it. Uh, there is a copy I see on here for $200. So maybe they'll get that, maybe they won't. And whether the battery still works is anybody's guess. Yeah, you might have to do a little surgery on that and unscrew the case and replace the battery at this point. But, yeah, the first time I played it through, I just felt like it was so simplistic compared to the computer RPGs I had played up through that time that I didn't get very far. But then later on, uh, during a summer break, I just had all this free from college and stuff. I just had all this free time in my hand. So I said, what the hell? And I sat down and I started playing through it and got far enough and it started started growing on me uh, and got through the the five different chapters and – eventually actually end up beating the game and this was way back in the day without an, an faq or anything else so fast forward here we are what good lord that was back in 92 2012 so we're at least two decades later um and as you guys have heard me talk about in the previous rpg trek segments and playing the dragon warriors one through three uh, while I enjoy their place in history, each one of them has had a, a major point of frustration w- for me, and that's the necessity to fall back on uh, FAQs, at least for me. I'm not saying people couldn't figure those games out on their own, but I think the average busy RP gamer who has a family and a life and stuff probably doesn't have the patience to cl- you know, to, to walk around and press on every gravestone until they figure out where the hidden orb of awesomeness is at. Um uh, so my question to myself is I popped in Dragon Warrior DS, Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest uh, 4 for the DS was one of the main questions in my back of my head was can I get through this without an FAQ? Because I did do it way back in the day on the NES version and uh, and the such. So uh, let's see. Uh, for those of you who haven't played it, uh, Dragon Quest is a pretty as a series is, are pretty straightforward RPGs and Dragon Quest 4 is no exception but one of the cool things that it starts off doing is it starts off uh, it starts off telling the story in chapters you actually start with a prologue of the DS version where it sets the stage and tells shows you the hometown where the hero that you name so of course I aptly named him Phil a guy named Phil, you can pick your gender um, I'm going to go for a guy named Phil and uh, I should be the hero of every story um and, and there's a town that you're in, and, and there's a story that goes along there. I won't spoil too much. It's not really that important anyways. After you get through the prologue, which only takes like, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, you go into chapter one, which is where the NES version starts at. And you're playing Ragnar, a soldier, uh, in the army. Kids are disappearing, and the king is sending out the soldiers to go and find out what's happened to the children. Uh, and Ragnar's chapter plays very similar to Dragon Warrior 1. You're just a single person. Uh, later on, you get some uh, somebody or some monster <laughs> that helps you out a little bit. But for the most part, it, it kind of reminded me of Dragon Warrior 1. It was really, really cute. Uh, the second chapter... Don't don't you get a friendly heal of slime to help you out later on in Ragnar's chapter? Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I mentioned the monster. Yeah. Okay. 
in chapter two, you play a uh, kind of a tomboy princess, Elena, who uh, against her father's wishes leaves her her the safety of the castle to go out and find adventure in the world a cleric and a wizard join her and ironically enough this this kind of comes across a lot like dragon warrior 2 where i you play a hero and a warrior and a, or, i'm sorry a hero and a cleric and a wizard so that was kind of cute and each one of these chapters only lasts a couple of hours so it's 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 almost like an appetizer. And during those two hours, you'll go from level 1 to 15. You'll visit a dungeon. You'll get through some plot. Each one of these guys has their own own story. So that's pretty nifty. Um, let me see. Was Chapter 3, guys, was that uh, Tulum or was that the uh, Dancing Sisters? That should be Tornico Tulum. What's that? That should be Tornico Tulum's chapter. Chapter 3 story is the, is story the merch- of making money. Yeah, so chapter three... Do you want to make more money? Sure, we all do. Yeah, yeah, so chapter three really, you know, so before the game even becomes too predictable, you're like, oh, chapter three is going to be like Dragon Warrior 3. Uh-uh. No, you play a merchant, and uh, you start off actually running a weapon shop, just like the weapon shops that for years you've been going to as characters and buying weapons from. You're now the shopkeeper or shop attendant at the very least and you're selling weapons to people as they walk in and you got to make good deals and you actually make a commission off of each sale which I think is just hilarious uh, it gets much bigger than that by the end of uh, his chapter you'll actually be bartering uh, deals between kings and doing deals that are worth you know thousands of gold rather than just a you know 10% commission off a 100 gold piece sword so it, it really is it is really really awesome and very very refreshing uh, it's a shame we don't see that in more games. It's just it's just so cool. Um, but at the end of the day, a whole game based on trading may be a little boring. So uh, the fact that it's a two hour chapter or so, it felt just right to me. By the time his chapter was done, I was I was ready to move on. And then the fourth chapter is about a, a couple of sisters who effectively uh, act like a cleric and a wizard, but they're both like uh, dancing entertainers, and they've got a story and one about of them revenge. Probably gets cold pretty easily. Cold? Oh yeah, yeah. Because she's got so. Yeah, it, it's yeah. We, we try not to think about too much logic in these games, Minky. In fact, she's wearing only. Be- you know, it's funny. It's funny you should bring that up though, because usually, as I'm playing on the RPG trek, it isn't just about playing through the games, but it's about immersing myself. Uh, in in all of the um, propaganda and everything that the ga- that the games were rolling out with, so I watch the commercials and I'll take the artwork and make them like the wallpaper, uh, my desktop wallpapers at work and at home and stuff. Well, and I'll change my icons on Twitter and on the forums and the such. Well, when it came to Dragon Warrior Four, I did not post the wallpaper of all the characters because yes, one of the girls. The dancing girls is dressed in a bikini, and in the workplace that may not be seen as appropriate, even though it's an animated picture. So we've actually had to complain about that before because a guy had a picture, a Sports Illustrated. So I'm like, okay, uh, even though it's animated, I don't want to take that risk that someone's going to feel offended by that. So <laughs> that, that's funny you should bring that up. Little side story that when you probably- what's that? It's probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. Little Nobody's side story. Nobody's ever accused Akira Toriyama of having the most realistic character proportions ever, but, uh, yeah, that is definitely a woman wearing a bikini. That is definitely is no a woman. for doubt. No, no doubt. That's definitely a bikini. Part of the RPG Trek experience, though, aside from the wallpapers, I even changed my ringtone on my phone. So somebody calls me, you know, during those two weeks, it's the, the town theme song from Dragon Warrior 4, Dragon Quest 4, playing on my phone. <laughs> 
Like I totally go all out on this. I totally want to get myself in that mindset. It encourages me to get through the games. So, uh, so we, so finally get through chapter four. You get, you know, you get a, uh, you get through their story. You get to chapter five, which is the meat and potatoes of the game. That's the hero story. And in the hero story, pretty, qu- pretty quickly, he'll meet up with the other heroes that you've played before, and they'll join his cause to save, uh, save the world. And that's where uh, the game opens up. You get forms of transportation. You're able to visit multiple locations all over the uh, the planet. Uh, lots of different towns and lots of different things that are going on and the game the game really opens up and as i'm getting through chapter five i'm starting to get into like the first third of it that's where i feel my chest tightening up because in dragon warrior two and three specifically that's where i start to get lost we, on one hand open we, that's a term we like to use a lot in rpgs right open what's it open world gaming that's so awesome right where you can go anywhere and do anything that you want side quest you know, just, just, I mean, that's just so awesome, right? Well, yeah, maybe, and unless there's a main quest you want to get back to, you've completely forgotten what you're supposed to do next, and because you got lost on these side quests, and you forgot the clues, or something's hidden far away, but but I'm happy to report that, that there is a nice, in Dragon Quest Four. it's like they learned some lessons, or they heard some feedback or something, because the trail of breadcrumbs leaving you from one city to another is a lot easier for to follow. At least it was for me. And, and I pretty much knew what I needed to do next um, as I was getting through each of the, the, the major plot points. And there's a lot of really great deep plot points. There's a lot of really interesting stories going on here. And the dungeons and the towns have that variety that I praised in Dragon Warrior 3. It, it even gets brought up another notch in Dragon Warrior 4. At one point, for example... <laughs> <clears throat> you even get to you even get to go undercover into a the, the 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 castle the abandoned castle where the monsters gather and meet. You know they're having a meeting with their leader Sorrow. I'm presuming the P is silent. Uh, <laughs> they're having a meeting with Sorrow, who looks an awful lot like Sephiroth. By the way, I just kept calling him Seth in my blog because he looks like Sephiroth, at least on the DS version. Yeah, uh, kind of reverse though. Sephiroth looks like Sorrow. Oh, you're right because Dragon Quest came out first. Good it point. Did. A good margin. Yes. This was, this was even before the merger, so clearly SquareSoft was uh, looking very closely at those early Enix games. Yeah, ripping them off. How rude! But you know that was really cool. Just uh, there's a rod you pick up, which allows you you to turn your characters into all monsters, at least in appearance. Like you infiltrate uh, the the monsters' den where they're all having conversation. You chit chat with them like you would NPCs in a town, and eventually you're directed to a conference room. That was one of the first times I did. So I did have to. I did. Uh, I did stop and look at an FAQ three times in the game. Each of the three times that I did look at an FAQ and I saw what the solution was, I realized that this was something that I really should have figured out on my own. Unlike previous games, where are in Dragon Warrior three or Dragon Warrior two, especially Dragon Warrior two. Where I was stuck on something, I would look up an FAQ and I would be like, really? You expect people to figure that out? But in Dragon Warrior 4, like the conference room – so the conference room deal, silly me. I'm just so used to playing the ES version where everything's two-dimensional. And, and personally, I still prefer 2D graphics and, and this is why. The door to the conference room was on the backside of the wall. You would only see it if you spun the camera around. I know that the DS 3D graphics, the shoulder buttons are for spinning the camera around, and I want to see in the instruction book or somewhere I read that, hey, pro tip, you should spin the the camera around often to find 
you know, important and hidden stuff. For some reason, I was at the monster castle. It never occurred to me to spin the camera around often enough to see where the entrance to that conference room was. There was a monster you know saying... What? I found, while playing the DS version, which is the one I played, that frankly, with that extra screen on top showing you so much more of the dungeon, often you can just avoid the, the blind alleys that lead you nowhere. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the camera around you can see all the different paths you can take, and it's a little easier to see. What yeah, the DS, the DS version with the taller screen, with the two screens, and with the ability to rotate does. Yeah, you're right, does help you on that area. I'm not dogging it. It's the, it's just, you know, like I said, for me, I got stuck in that area because I forgot. And this is your gamer pro tip, by the way, boys and girls. Rotate the camera often, even in towns, because you'll find doorways and stuff that in the normal NES version, the door would be right there. There would be no question there's a doorway right there because it's 2D. In the 3D version, it could be hiding behind a wall. You need to rotate the camera around often. And so I got stuck temporarily, and I knew there was something more to that castle. There had to be because I wasn't getting a new item. I wasn't progressing the plot. Finally broke down after like 10, 20 minutes. A, and read an FAQ. I was like, "Ah, stupid me." That's something I should have realized. Certainly. Um, see, see, for that one, the fact wasn't really necessary. No, no, it wasn't. Except as a reminder that you had this ability, which right? You used. Right. And I'll be the first. I mean, you guys have heard me criticize the previous Dragon Warrior games. I'll be the first person to say, you know, they're being too tough here. This is too secret for a required item. No, in this case, it was just Phil going, "Ah, dang, yeah, I should have remembered. I have the ability to rotate the camera around." So there's a couple more points like that. Uh, it was really funny. You know, you mentioned how I played this three or four years ago. Uh, one of the other times I looked at the FAQ was going, you know, there's the uh, the city that's all flooded like Venice where the streets are in water. The, si- the the castle itself, you have to use a raft to get around because there's so much water inside the castle. I remember that place. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a cute place. The problem was I sat there going around my ship for like 10 minutes trying to figure out how to get to it. Uh, and so I'm thinking maybe I need a magic item or something because it, it's got a lot of land and coral reefs around it. And I was thinking that it was basically impenetrable without some magic item or a, or maybe a flying uh, ship or something that I didn't have yet. Well, I looked up the fact and it's like approach it from the southeast. And as I approach it from the southeast, I'm like, oh, duh, I should have I should have figured that out on my own. It's it's an easy straight shot from the set when you approach it from the southeast. I remembered at that point I had. I had gotten to that city without a fact when I played it a few years ago before it was stolen. So that was Phil just having a, a brain fart moment. Like I said, I looked up three times three facts, uh, and each time I was like, ugh. I, 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 the, two of the three times I had actually done it on my first playthrough. I remembered after I read the fact. Um, uh, the third time was the monster, the monster area, which I had not done um, before I lost the game. So, which required just rotating the camera around. So, yeah, those were the only three times. Everything else I got through the rest of the game, which those are in the middle of the game. I got through the rest of the game without using a fact at all, including the ending and stuff, and beat the beat the big boss. So, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, lots of cool little plot points. I mean, the overall plot of Dragon Warrior is nothing super to write home. It's nothing super original. So there is a neat twist there with Sorrow. Did, did you all figure that one out? You mean the what, what? Sorry, what? I was a little spaced out. You know how sorrow. Uh, so sorrow's the big boss, right? Sorrow the manslayer. Mm-hmm. Um, you're basically chasing him throughout the whole game, and when you finally approach him at the end, like most big bad bosses, he's had too much of his own secret sauce. He turns into a monster, and and that battle at the end was just epic. 
Especially mm-hmm. since you have the wagon with you. And I don't know about y'all's playthrough, but I don't really go out of my way to find lots of secret hidden artifacts and weapons. Um, and I grind somewhat, but I don't grind too much. It was yeah, that's a that's a good fight for it. It was a good fight, and it was perfectly balanced for a player like me. Uh, I had four out of eight people dead <laughs> because you get to bring your <laughs> you get to bring your wagon, and with the wagon. So with the wagon, that's one of the new things about Dragon Quest Four as well. Instead, at Dragon Warrior 1 through 3, you have 1, 3, and later in Dragon Warrior 3, you have 4 characters. And they're constantly in your party. With Dragon Warrior 4, you get a wagon. As you're finding all these heroes, they go inside the wagon. Kind of like Final Fantasy X, when you're fighting, you can swap people out of the wagon, except for smaller dungeons. In smaller dungeons, you got to pick your 4 people ahead of time. The wagon doesn't come with you, and those 4 people cannot be swapped out during while you're in that dungeon. Uh, but in the fight against Sorrow, you do get to uh, you do get to bring the wagon with you. So during that fight, you can swap people out, which I was doing often to make the most out of. You know, certain wizards have buffs, certain casters have buffs and debuffs, and and minimaxing uh, that situation. And yeah, it was really close. Four out of eight dead, <laughs> and I won. How many forms did he have? I can't remember right now. I, I lost count. I seriously lost freaking count because it was like it must have been eight. I just that actually d- sounds right, and, and the first few are, are of course nothing special. You can breeze through them, but then they just keep getting stronger. Yeah, extra faces, extra arms, extra limbs. Yeah, it's like, I think I counted this ten in bat faces that fight actually. Yeah, yeah, just crazy. And I remember being really impressed with the animations used for him during that fight. He was yeah, really all interesting to see. I I mentioned that in my blog, and I might I think I actually put that in my reviews, well my written review as well. You're right. Uh, the the animation in the game overall is is a standout, specifically in the battles, the monster animations when they attack you is just beautiful. It, it's amazing that they were doing this. I went back and watched some of the videos, the SNES versions, and they were doing this when Final Fantasy four, five, and six had these boring enemy animations where they would just flash and attack you. Dragon Warrior Quest games had full-blown enemy animations that were fun to watch and gave the enemies a lot of personality. This carries over in the DS version, but the fight against Sorrow, specifically as he's going through his evolutions, was definitely a delight. So, uh, anyways, to go back to the plot deal, uh, do you guys remember the little hook, though, with Sorrow as far as why he was so pissy against the world and went through all this evolutionary doohickey to try to destroy everybody? Yeah. Uh, do you remember that, uh, Nathan? I remember that once you beat the game, you are able... And the sound just got... Skype just had a... So, do you remember before you go into the extra content? Do you remember what Sorrow's motivation was for wanting to be such a BBEG, big bad evil yeah. guy? Assistant humans killed the elf girl he was in love with. Right, right. Essentially, humans killed. The, but, dude, do you remember why the humans killed the elf girl he was in love with? The big quote unquote twist. Can't remember. One of the, so when you get to the uh, when you get to the end island, um, where Sorrow is at, in order to approach him, you got to take down four barriers that are basically being powered by his four lieutenants. Uh, so as I go and kill each lieutenants were pushovers. One of the four said, "Ah, oh, well, of course they always monologue right when they die." 
Ah, oh, well, you know, well, it was me all along who pushed the, who basically manipulated the humans into killing that elf. So I, when I posted that screenshot, I put a little caption underneath saying, who knew that there was no honor among monsters? <laughs> you know, so well, that Phil, was... If, if you're about to die, then you might as well monologue. You before, might as well monologue. Before you lose the chance to speak ever again. Right. So that was, you know, but, but, but Sorrow didn't know that. He just knew humans killed, and that's why he was out to kill all the humans. Uh, so, yes, there is uh, – I did find out afterwards uh, as I was writing my review, and I forgot the name of one of the cities or the NPCs. So I went to the FAQs to look up the uh, the proper um, spelling. And as I was looking through it, I real I looked at the table of contents. There's like chapter one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm like, chapter six? But I only went through five chapters. Oh, yeah, chapter – go ahead, Nathan. Game. Yeah, it's a post game. Post- where did you play it, Nathan? Yeah, I played through that. I played. I I didn't quite beat the final battle of it. I don't think, but I did everything up to that point. So what? what so let's let me ask you. See if you pick your brain a little bit. What was the what was the whole uh, story? So we know chapter one through four introduces the characters. Chapter five is about your hero getting these heroes together to save the world uh, by opposing sorrow, who is basically out to kill everybody and destroy life as we know it. What is chapter six about? The the, the epilogue. Okay, chapter. I think I covered this when we talked about this game before. I mean, that's why I've been kind of quiet. It's like, I talked about this game a lot. I don't have much more to say. But, anyways, chapter six is. Pretend that some of our audience members do not listen to our complete backlog of podcast. Well, chapter six is basically. a cave has opened up in the in the city on in the center of the island, which connects both the Zenithia and Nadiria. And so you dive into the cave, you fight weird chicken people in a painting or something. No, wait, the chicken people in front of the painting. It's kind of a weird sequence. It's just completely nonsensical. And thus, they grant you a wish upon defeating them. And you, thus, you get the power to get a fruit of Atrasil, which lets you revive the poor elf girl that Sarah was in love with from the dead. And she rises from the dead, and then you bring her back to before the final battle, and there she convinces Sorrow to not become the final boss, and he joins your party instead. And then with the, the former final boss now in your party, you can go off and fight his former minion, who then uses the, the secret of evolution to turn itself into a new final boss. And is that... Uh, so this is post-game content that was added specifically uh, for this version of the game. Is is because it's optional? Is it much more difficult than beating Sorrow in the original? Yeah, I'd say. Well, it basically the dungeon you need to go through in order to trigger all these events is pretty hard. I mostly just you. I basically gave Elena the most powerful weapon in the game and let her basically destroy every enemy on my way down, and that worked for me. And yeah, yeah that girl. That girl was tough. Yeah, she's pretty. I enjoyed Elena. I equipped her with the earrings that give her two attacks, and and just yeah, just watched her tear everything up. It was cute. Yeah, give her the was it the Kringham whip? I think it's called. Just basically give her the ultimate weapon that hits all enemies at once, and she can basically one shot all the encounters for you and carry you through the post game. Hmm. Giving that whip's a little bit of a pain, but you know. Yeah, yeah, I will say uh, Dragon Quest Four. Just playing through the normal content, not getting to the optional content, because I was pretty much done at Chapter Five, and I saw the the FAQ later on. But uh, you know, 
part of my RPG track is I'm pretty much just trying to get through the games uh, proper. But I will say I don't even – I can't remember actually getting a whip or a boomerang the entire way, which was a big favorite of mine back in Dragon Warrior 3. And now that I'm in Dragon Warrior 5, it's once again, you know, my favorites. It's – it's uh, those those weapons are available early on from the shop. So I have my hero and even monsters uh, that are on my party just attacking everybody at once. But yeah, Dragon Warrior 4 – hard to find those whips and boomerangs. Yeah, I can't remember. I mean, I, I don't think added, they added it to the game, that powerful whip, but I don't remember how many other ones were in the spell while since I played the DS games. Sure, sure. And, and uh, you know, one point, uh, one point I'll probably go back and play it and get through the, at that point, get through the optional content. So, so the million dollar question, and one of the reasons I'm playing through this RPG trek is to say, you know, is it fun today? And, and, and you know, with, with especially the first three games, in, in all of my reviews, I said essentially that I appreciate their point of history. I can see why people like them. I would have a hard time recommending it to the average person, the average RP gamer on the street today in the year 2014. But Dragon Warrior Four just had me glued to my seat from beginning to end. Uh, it was a little short. Uh, the plot was a little thin. But uh, and, and I think I'd, I'd say with regard to the plot, we can forgive it because it came out originally in 1992. But but the question is, I, I'm looking at it specifically, Mike. Is it fun today? Right. How does it hold up today? I understand that back th- back then. Well, let, it was. Let, let me it was. That. Yeah. By the standards of 1992 video game plots, it was huge. Yeah, it was huge back then. I mean, back back then it was. Oh yeah. Absolutely. The fact that you were going and doing things like infiltrating monster labyrinths and uh, you know you had this this story of betrayal and stuff was uh, on the NES. It was pretty damn good. The but you know but does you know does the does that does that approach hold up today? I think uh, <clears throat> you know I I think there's a couple of shortcomings aside from the two I just mentioned. I think the third one would be. And I agree – this is coming from Glenn Wilson who I agree with on this one, uh, Seven Circle on our website, which is it kind of sets up that premise with the first four chapters. You get to know all these party members pretty well, which it constitutes the first eight to ten hours of the game. When you get to chapter five, which is the next 20 hours and takes you to the end of the game, you don't – you get a little resolution on some of them, but you hardly hear from them. Now, my understanding is if you pick up the iOS version, which just recently came out, ironically enough, and completely misspelled as Dargan Warrior instead of Dragon Warrior 4, <laughs> um, there's inner party chat. There's an inner char- party chat button, which you actually see in the later Dragon yeah, uh, that's, Quest that's games. Yeah, ori- the original Japanese version of the DS game had this, but they just didn't localize it. Yeah, that's a shame. And so that's the like the worst. The, it really is important to get to the. Otherwise, the characters have no personality whatsoever. So, so if you want to play the IS, based on Dragon Quest Five, where it was kept, and yes, it does make a big difference. It does. I'm playing yep. through Dragon Dragon Quest Five now, and I'm really enjoying it. So, uh, you know, but uh, but but looking at the DS version, definitely that is a missed opportunity. But even with those three missed opportunities that I've mentioned, this game on the, just just evaluating the DS version that I have spent thirty you know hours playing through, absolutely recommend it today. Absolutely positively, it's fun. It's straight. It's straightforward. But there's enough strategic depth with the wagon and the, the different party members that each have their own abilities and spells and their their parts in the party. 
Um, my my epic battle with Sorrow at the end was completely memorable because one of the things that Dragon Warrior games, Dragon Quest games does well is balance. And that's something that's missing from so many games even today. The, when you get to that boss battle and it's so well balanced that you're on the edge of your seat. Am I going to win? Am I going to die? I went into Sorrow not really caring because one of the cool things about Dragon Quest games is that if you die, you simply go back with half your gold. And but you can lock up most of your gold in the bank. So I only had like three thousand gold in my pocket when I fought him. And uh, this is in a late game where you have tens of thousands although, of although gold. You do have to sp- you do have to spend a little cash to revive everybody at the church. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. Um, but but on the bright side, you get to keep your XP, and that's one of the things Max Storm likes. You don't feel like you wasted your time. You just get. You a- know what? The the older I get, the more I'm with him on that point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many games have I played? Every time you die or somebody dies in combat, you're like, reset. Fire Emblem, reset. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just so refreshing to play a game where if people die, you're just like, well, okay, I've lost some gold. So it makes you care enough to not want to, you know, be too foolish, but not. But the cost isn't so high that if you do die, you're like immediately hitting the reset button. You're like, okay, it's a minor setback, but they did a great job. I mean, this is way back in the day, and they already, you know, already were putting this stuff in. But that battle with Sorrow at the end, I lost four people, but I managed to hang on, and I managed to beat him. And when he finally said, so- I didn't know how many evolutions he had. I lost track. I lost count. But when I finally said, Sorrow is defeated. said it was probably ten, and ten sounds about right. Let's go with that. <laughs> Yeah, when it said Sorrow the Banslayer's feet, I'm like, yeah, people in playing were hearing me go, yes, yes. I'm like, Daniel Bryan, yes, yes, yes. Um, it was just, it was just like, wow, here we are 22 years later, and it's still eliciting the, both the gameplay, uh, and to some extent the story, but most of the gameplay was eliciting that, yes, 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 yay, uh, response from me. So, yeah, I would totally recommend this game today, and by far, so far, it is my favorite uh, Dragon Quest game uh, on my RPG Trek. Uh, it clocked in over 30 hours, a little short, uh, which works just fine for me. Playing Dragon Warrior 5 now, I'm about 10 hours in, and Dragon Warrior 5 seems a lot slower pace. I'm like 10 hours in, still level 15, hmm. But, uh... Well, uh, you stick with it, Phil. Oh, I, I will. will oh, I will. Far, but... Well, I will. Oh, I yes. Think... I think Nathan and I can agree that you will find much to re- reward you with Dragon Quest V. Yeah, yeah, Dragon Quest V is quite a good one. Yeah, maybe we'll have a little sidebar uh, afterwards. I don't want to talk too much about V on the show yet because my I'm just getting into it. And it's cool playing these old games and being uh, – like with Dragon Warrior V now, I have no experience with Fire 6 at all. So where 4, I had some history at the NES version uh, with 5 and 6, of course, and 7 – uh, I have nearly no experience at all. So, uh, yeah. And you told me your plan for seven. <laughs> I've already started. So, for those who don't know, uh, seven is just a PlayStation game here in America, right? So, I've Unless only. Unless you want to buy a Japanese 3DS and import it. Yeah, which I because don't. Because no one has seen fit to bring it here. Which is rude because, and mean. Because we. this is why we can't have nice things, people. Evil. I don't understand why the series hasn't caught on the way it is. It is fun. Uh, anywho, uh, so 
my console time's a lot more limited than my handheld time, especially lately since I've been doing the business trips. I managed to knock out Dragon Warrior 4 in a little over two weeks, and a big part of that was because being a DS game and the business trips I'm on, I got a lot of it knocked out while I was on a plane, as I mentioned before, flying from point A to point B. The DS battery life is just extraordinary. Um, but uh, because 7 is such a long game, everyone has warned me ahead of time, Phil, it's at least 100 hours. Dragon Warrior 4 only took me 30 hours to beat. It's at least 100 hours. Be prepared to devote you know chunks of your life to this game. I've gotten a head start on 7. So I've already started to put, you know, put a little few hours here and there as I get a few hours on the weekend. Um, yeah. Now, I can't remember, Nathan. Nathan, how much experience with 7 do you have? I've never touched 7. Okay. Because Phil, in his infinite generosity, has decided that we can undertake this journey together, and he has, um... It's en route now, my copy of 7, so that I, too, can experience the longest Dragon Quest game on the PlayStation. And, awesome. Uh, I, I feel like I shouldn't have to suffer alone, so... <laughs> Uh, I will tell you, like, just to well, set... Th- experience is a neutral term. I didn't say anything like uh, wondrous or dispiriting or, you know, adjective-laden terms like that. I'll, I'll an tell... Experience can, an experience is equally applicable to getting a nail in your foot or winning the lottery. I, I'll set the stage for you here, Mike, because I've already started... I've already put a few hours into it, Right. Right. You don't. I've. I've. I, in the first three and a half to four hours, Mike, I did not run into a single monster. The first dungeon you go into, there's not a monster. It's completely puzzle driven, and you're probably a better puzzle solver than I am. I personally am not a fan of puzzle games in my RPGs, especially if they're the find the hidden object type. I. Uh, you know how much I hate to hit FAQs. I've hit FAQ in the first dungeon. <laughs> and I hit the FAQ. And even with the FAQ's help, it's taking me four hours. It took me four hours to get out of the dungeon and eventually to uh, to progress the story into the part where you're actually into some combat. It, this is a slow burn. No kidding. Slow burn. I am, I am filled with unease at this point. Revelation. Think about this. In Dragon Warrior 4, in the first four hours, I had already gone through the first two chapters and where I've gotten two complete sets of characters up to level 15. <laughs> you know, I completed two full stories and plot lines. Yeah. So you're going to suffer. I mean, you're going to enjoy this game with me. Uh, and that's really cool, guys. You know, j- j- that's the whole thing about RPG Trek. If you want to join me, I'm in, I'm doing five now. I expect to have it done by the end of November, um, and and then I'll dive into six. The idea is to have six done by the end of the year, seven to be done by the end of February. Can kind of getting a little head start on it now. I'll need that head start to get it done by the end of February. In all reality, with my work schedule. And then, uh, and then I think I got the rest of the schedule posted up somewhere. But I want to say Dragon Quest Eight by the end of either March or April, and then a couple of months later for Dragon Quest Nine. So we're not doing ten. That's an MMO. I'm not even sure if that's in America. No, it's not in America. No. So we're not counting ten yet. So anywho, and then we'll see. Last, what I'd like to play that too. That would be awesome. I, I that would be lovely if they brought that out here. It's it's kind of sad that they don't. But. Yeah, I- 
But you guys thank are you. thank you so much, everybody, for and not necessarily our listeners, but the people who make the decisions on what to bring over for just deciding that because it was on the Wii, I'm sure Dragon Quest Ten would have no audience over here. Just thank you so much. Yeah, this is wrong. So would you guys would you both have played Dragon Warrior a uh, Dragon Quest for DS? Would you guys both agree that it's a, a super fun experience? Thumbs up. That's pretty good. Okay. So I give it a thumbs up, most definitely. Yeah. So uh definitely uh track uh check it out. And uh and then uh probably in an RPG trek in the not too distant future in December, I'll be prepared to talk about uh Dragon Quest um five, right? Five. If you if you want to get what's interesting, if you want to get Dragon Dragon Quest uh four, uh get this mic. Just you know, we have to wrap this up with the prices, right? Um, this game is, is not cheap. $30 for a used copy with just the cartridge. Now, of course, our listeners demand the best. They want the box, factory sealed. Well, Dragon Quest... We're talking about the DS version. We're not even talking about the original NES cartridge. $140. Seriously? Holy frijoles! I kid you not. Brand new, factory sealed, 100% rating from the seller, with delivery, $140. Um, I have found one here as I'm talking with you guys. Uh, he's also got 100% rating. I found a steal, a bargain, in the shrink wrap for $110 plus shipping. Uh, well, Nathan, that's that's certainly an option, that's, wouldn't you say? That's expensive <laughs> I would not recommend paying uh, that much boys and girls uh, you can search a little bit harder and uh, you know and get a used copy I'd recommend just getting a used copy uh, if you're dying to get the box with the instructions I think you can find one for less than 110 bucks that isn't necessarily in the shrink wrap but honestly this game's straightforward enough especially with the help of an FAQ you can save some serious money just by getting the uh, cartridge only for around twenty-five plus shipping, thirty bucks plus shipping. Um, that's a little higher than your standard used eight-year-old DS game or whatever, but it's well worth it. It is absolutely a fabulous experience. And uh, you know, I didn't even mention the the, the music. Uh, I mentioned the animation before, but the music—I love the music in this game. I don't know what I'm going to change my ringtone. I like it. I'm tone deaf. My wife tells me, so I can't hum it very well. <laughs> but uh, it's it's well, just very maybe catchy. you should maybe you should get one of those symphonic renditions of the Dragon Quest music. That are- oh, that's a great point, Minky. Uh, there is on YouTube.com. There is this guy. I don't know who he is. I got a favor. I got him favorited and subscribed to. But he plays a lot of the um, role playing game music, uh, and he seems to to hit Dragon Quest games a lot. And he plays it on like violin and other instruments. And I guess he records each part separately and then blends them together so he can show it on the video as if he's uh, he's his own symphony. And it's just so awesome. So. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm going to look up and give him a shout-out. Uh, while I do that, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. We're going to wrap this up with the final lap. So uh, hold on tight.
This is the final lap. This is where basically we just talk about what what's on our mind, what we're doing, what's going on with the website. We read your comments, tweet, tweeter feeds, or whatever the heck they're called. Tweets. We read your tweets. And so much more. It's uh it's kind of the kitchen sink of the podcast. I want uh, my good friend Nathan to be able to go to bed at a decent time tonight. So we're going to start off kind of going, doing our round table here and let him talk first. Mr. Nathan, what are you doing? What are you playing? What's on your mind? What are you doing on the website? What is up with <laughs> What I'm doing the- on the website is not anywhere near enough, but so let's ignore that. And instead focus on what I've been playing lately because, you know, I was – just coming off a long break off of my re- obsession of Fall 14, so I've been playing a bunch of random different games, I feel like just mentioning. Uh, most recently, I've been playing Mistwalker's New Terra Battle, that kind of their iOS game that, you know, is actually kind of surprisingly fun. It's like, you know, most iOS games aren't, but, you know, hey, Sakaguchi pulled through for us and made of one that is pretty darn good. Like it's still a free-to-play game, so it's got stuff like... Hmm? The last thing Mistwalker did was um, The Last Story, right? Am I remembering correctly? Yeah. I think there's something in between that was really minor that no one paid much attention to, but... Yeah. They've made Terra Battle, which is... You know, it's kind of like a... It's got a stamina system. It's free-to-play and asks for real money microtransactions, but it's amazingly... Not exploitive with that, you know. Every time you play the game, you're guaranteed to be able to sit down and play a nice chunk of gameplay, and it's been very reasonable to me. And each session's really a lot of fun. It's, it's like a nice, good RPG. With, you know, you've got characters who build up abilities, and you move them around, and they make combo attacks. And you know, it's all simplistic graphics and such, and a kind of puzzle game aesthetic. But you know, it, I really like it. I've only been playing for a few days, but I really like it. I'd say that's a vote of confidence, then. And frankly, Mistwalker needs the business. Otherwise, yeah, they do. I mean, I, I look. I encourage them to get, you know keep existing and making good games. And if this pays off for them, I, well, I hope they continue making good games. Uh, I guess we got through Terra Battle, so okay. So Terra what Battle. Else? So I guess um. You know, I've randomly just... Uh, I was thinking about the Saga games, so I went back and played Final Fantasy Legend 2. I, I bought it for the Game Boy way back when it was first released, but I never beat it. So I just did, yesterday, in fact. And, you know, that was an interesting experience, going back and playing an old Game Boy game. and It, you know, busting out my old Game Boy Advance to do so. And, you know, that was... It's a fun experience. I just. Uh, well, I know, I know that Mr. Apps and Mr. Baker are 100% in agreement with you there. Yeah, yeah, I'm certain they are. Yes, you know, it's it's a weird little game, and I probably messed up a few too many things, but I still beat it nonetheless, and I'm just happy to finally do so after all this time. It's a lot of fun. And um, I'm sure if you're willing to make the uh, the effort, then uh, that that DS remake of it is back to be 100% worth experiencing. 
Yeah, Even I really wish I could have played that. But... Yeah, I well, you curse can. you, Square Enix. <laughs> you can play it. Okay. Understanding it is something else entirely. Yeah. Ah, which is so frustrating. But yeah, now I'm going back to playing one step further back in the original Final Fantasy Legends. And that is a bit more crude of a game in terms of the interface and such, but and you know, mutants and that are so random. <laughs> Since but I'm making a progress. Almost on the first world. And that's just like a few a little bit of effort. So other than that, man, there's some other little random games to get through. Uh, uh, Dwarf Fortress is always there. If I occasionally break this game out and then I want build a bit of a fortress and think, then it's like too many dwarves show up and I have no idea what's going on. If you want to talk about convoluted, nonsensical games, terrible interfaces, this is the greatest one of them all. Nothing will have an interface this bad. It'd still be such an amazingly unique and bizarre game. Everyone should play this game once. That does not exactly make me want to go run after it right now. (laughs) Yeah, well, you'll never find a game with an amazingly complex simulation. Okay. But if I have to think (laughs) for five minutes before I make every move, that's, that's not a very good time return at this point in my life. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's better than that, but it it still is like you know why does every single sub menu have a different control method for getting through it? I don't know. <laughs> so annoying. That but sounds. It's weird. called a feature. <laughs> <laughs> Helps uh, no. you know make sure that you're thinking through very carefully what's going on. Make sure you're paying attention. That's all. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I guess finally I'll want to throw out a wrench into a game I've been meaning to talk on the backtrack for a while, which is Dominion's Four. The well, it's a kind of an indie PC strategy game in which you basically control a god trying to send your dominion to control all of the worlds and fight off other gods and their own civilizations and it's basically what happens if you create a crazy D&D world put a god in charge of it and go out and try to conquer the rest of the world you've got like whole kingdoms of minotaurs and centaurs fighting kingdoms of of Indian ape men versus you know kingdoms of people who are on fire and perform blood sacrifices to summon demons one faction you can control in this game is well, you you are more or less the alien entities from the, living the bottom of the ocean trying to spread madness across all of the world. That is a faction you control and try to beat the game with. It is a crazy game. and There's a lot of stuff that's kind of weird but uh, I mean, I'm not really ever going to use blood magic in this game just because <laughs> no. But you know, it's a complex, interesting strategy game where you know you've got mages and powerful magic spells that can decide the course of battle and kind of will and building up armies and I just find it to be fun. So yeah, I just wanted to mention it. And I think well, that's a I, well, I certainly hadn't heard of it before, so no, I haven't either. Kudos to you. Yeah, 
Well, yeah, like it's a cool game, pretty cheap. Can play it if I can play it perfectly on my old Mac laptop. Anyone can play it on their computer. Probably true. I I was able to get Dragon Age Origins to play on my machine, although maybe that had something to do with the the issues it's been having lately. But somehow I doubt it. So I can I will more than likely be able to play Dominion War. What, I, I Dominion's remember. Four. Dominion's Four. See, yeah. I, when I came up with something that rhymed. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to plug a couple of random games, so thank you for listening. Awesome. How about you, Mr. Mickey? Well, at, on breaks and frequently because I kind of rushed through it the first time trying to do the review for our site, I've been tinkering with Fire Emblem Awakening and making very little point of advancing the plot except when I feel bored. Instead, I've been... Wait, wait, that's one of those games where if you die, you gotta restart. Nope. Only if you choose classic mode. Oh, it's Awakening. That's right. Okay, my bad. Right. Sorry. It's, uh... <laughs> I, I have been kind of jumped to conclusions there. Instead. So, wait, wait, are you playing in class... So, are you playing in classic mode where the deaths really matter, or are you going... New school. I'm doing casual this time. Hmm. You are so. Do you feel? I mean, that's a great conversation. I mean, Fire Emblem is one of those series that, up until Awakening, was really sticking to its guns with that whole you know death as permanent thing. So now that, and I know you've played a lot of games a uh, lot in that series. What's your feeling on switching to casual mode? <laughs> I have been through many Fire Emblem games where I needed to count very carefully what I was doing, where I was prepared to restart the stage, or in more recent years just say, enough, I'm not restarting, that character is dead and I'm sticking with it. So, casual mode just helps out greatly if you're playing this on breaks like I am, where you just whip it out, the 3DS... I love being able to close it and just have it hibernate all the freaking time. Because frankly, sometimes you don't have that much time to play, and every moment where you don't have to spend the, watch the system powering on is a gain for you. Oh yeah, I mean that's uh, no, it's 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 a little bit of a side topic, but I completely agree with you. Portable and playing Dragon Quest games on my DS versus the last three games I've been playing on the PC. Uh, through emulators, it's huge being able just to be able to close the lid and not having to go through the whole boot up, reload, blah, 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 blah. And that is another reason to be so freaking unhappy that we don't get to play 7 on the 3DS. God damn it, I want to play it on the 3DS. You know, that's actually but, kind of talking about this thing of loading up games. We see, going back to playing old Final Fantasy Legend 1 and 2, it's, like, it's amazing how fast the old Game Boy boots up and how quickly you can go right, right into the game just by playing it. Like all more modern systems have all of this complex OS stuff in the way. Sometimes it's nice going back to the really old stuff, which is so snappy in that regard. When properly designed, because not all Game Boy games were e- were prompt to get into. Yeah, that's the sort of thing. Some are better than others in that regard. Um, so Awakening. Some of these support conversations I get are pretty funny some of them are forgettable but it's just a kick i didn't know this when i first played the game that there's this trick where 
even the old tenet of Fire Emblem where you hit level 20 per, unpromoted, then you hit level 20 promoted, and that's it. You're done. That's been thrown out. You can use class change items to put yourself back at the beginning of a class, and bam, then you can level some more. You no longer yeah. have to accept a set of bad random number generator tosses. And if you're patient enough, it, going around and looking at all the random merchants, you can even get a theoretically unlimited pile of stat-up items. So even if you do play it on the hardest possible difficulty with everybody dying, then if you were insanely patient, which is not what someone playing on that difficulty and circumstance would be, but you could build up an unstoppable army anyway. Uh, I just... I stand by pretty much everything I said in the review, although I still find that the vocals are a little limited. When you hear somebody say, yes, of course, when his text down below says something like, we're going to go over the mountains and conquer that hill. The words and the text, they don't match. Why would you do that? But I mean, I'm used to that from some older games, but... uh... Yeah, I can understand why I can bother people. It, it, it reminds me of Skies of Arcadia, where Vice will be talking about something. Yeah, yeah everybody, we're, we're going to get this done. And his vocal is, uh-huh. Those are not the <laughs> yeah. same things. <laughs> it, you know, for me, it reminds me of... I think it reminds me of certain conversations from maybe a random Harvest Moon or Rune Factory game. I don't know. Just, you know, there's so much text, but only so little voice acting. They just try to stretch it <laughs> as much as possible. Fair enough. Makes sense. But, yeah, I've, I've even had a coworker inquire what I was playing, and when she looked at the screen, she was taken aback because, what, they're talking to each other? What? The, you can tell she's clearly not a video game veteran, but uh, it was fun. And at home, I have been playing Pierre Solar and the Grand Architects, courtesy of Steam, where I honestly need to be trying to make better progress with this thing because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and churn out the review for our site. It is definitely a game made with the Genesis in mind, for good and for ill. Uh... It's not that the encounter rate is particularly heavy, although it seems to have ramped up recently. It's that each battle takes several minutes. And I have, I'm not alone in this. I This is a common complaint that the enemies are really good at getting the advantage on you and hitting you first. And then you get to pick up after healing with your healing supplies, which are, of course, somewhat limited. And... You know, after a few rounds of that, you start to get a little frustrated and you wish that you could go save. But, of course, this is a game made with the Genesis in mind, so you have to go find the save point. And thus far, I have found no means of getting out of a dungeon quickly, so you have to trudge all the way back to the entrance. Uh, yeah, it's... It's far from the worst Genesis era game I've ever played. But let's not bring Sword of Vermilion into this. We... Actually, that can be 
Remember, Phil, we did that uh, shoot, whatever that segment was a few sessions ago where we talked about the Dark Spire? <laughs> I could probably sustain a little bit of that for sort of Vermilion sometimes. Should you try it now or should it stay buried? No, no, I'll take your word for it, Chief. I, I've been through enough torture just listening to y'all talk about Vagrant's story. Well, sometime. We will bring that segment back, and I will talk a little bit about Sword of Vermilion, and you can know why including it on so many Genesis compilations over the years is clearly Sega's attempt to, I don't know, get war criminals off the hook in The Hague, because if people have experienced this kind of torture in their daily lives, they'll be inured to what people do in Africa to each other. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, Pure Solar. Far from the worst Genesis era, Genesis design RPG I've ever played, but not the best either. Um, I'll, I'll talk more on that probably in the future. Hopefully by the time we do another episode, I will have beaten it and thrown a review up for the site. But my time has gotten a lot more precious lately, so that may not happen. Um, and that leaves movies, doesn't it? Uh, hey, hey! I watched uh, Whiff Tracks on Netflix with uh, I forget what the movie was called, but it was where people turn into werewolves. That was hilarious. It's 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 specifically where uh, they uncover the bones of an ancient lycanthrope, and during a fist fight, one of them falls on the bones, which means oh, they werewolves. get infected. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Warwolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was so hilarious while they were making fun of it the entire time. I, I love that episode. That, that's, that's, a, that's MST3K. It's still yeah, MST3K. I'm sorry, that's not worth tracks. Totally recommend it. If you got Netflix, just look up. They got, I don't know if it's all of them. I doubt it's all of them. But they got a lot of the uh, MST3Ks on there, and they're hilarious. The man in the yellow hat has arrived to calm things down. That's exactly, how do you remember that, Minky? Because I've seen that episode multiple times. Oh my god, you are crazy! Uh, yeah, things like... Uh, I, I couldn't even have quoted that, and I just watched it like two days ago. <laughs> I, I, I love that episode. That is hilarious oh, no, that you remember that. Neil Young! Yeah! Yeah, I love the ending. No one saw this coming. No one saw this at all. <laughs> Movie, by this point, one-celled organisms have figured it out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. oh no, they've joined the cast of cats. <laughs> they joined the cast of cats. You guys have oh. got to see It's Werewolf. You can get on that if you got Netflix. Go and watch it. It is hilarious. Thus ends the least successful werewolf ever. Yeah, yeah, in the first, so the first time someone turns into a werewolf, I kid you not, he <laughs> dies within like, this was supposed to be terrible, horrifying hybrid beast, and this guy dies in the first three minutes that he's a werewolf, and that's why they're yeah. like, yeah, he, yeah. After he's been built up for like ten minutes. After he's been built up for, oh, more than ten, yeah. <laughs> and he dies so quick, is just hilarious. And then comes the second werewolf. And he, uh... 
He dies in a car accident. Yes. I mean, come on. Come on, really. What, what is he stalking it because it's the weakest of all gas stations? I just, I just, yeah. I mean, this is hilarious. It's just, come on, guys. Werewolves, they're only supposed to be able to be killed by silver bullets. And the second, the first one, they were prepared for him. They killed him. That's a stupid plot twist. It's anticlimactic, but at least it works logically because the guy even said, well, I've got some silver bullets here. Okay, you're anticlimactic, but at least you're logical in the fact that you can kill a werewolf. But the second one, he died by car accident. That could happen to any of us. That hardly establishes the fact that werewolves are to be terrified when they die of the exact same reason that most Americans do. This is the third straight week of the full moon. I'm surprised the third one didn't die of cancer. I just... Really, just horrible, horrible. And, and of course, this is absolutely fascinating. <sighs> you remember the lady and her her ambiguous accent. Ah, uh, yeah, just bad, bad movie, bad movie. But but, but watch oh. the riff. Yes, or the the episode. Watch the episode because that's completely worth it. I love that episode. Uh, so I, I watched a Marx Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very good, sadly. It's called Go West, and there's an early scene where they're just being the Marx Brothers in a train station, but then the plot comes in. And honestly, it's the most cliched Western junk ever, and there are songs, and there's a boring hero, and a boring damsel, and a couple of boring villains, and you don't care in a Marx Brothers movie. You're there to watch the Marx Brothers be crazy and funny, and sadly, you just you don't get enough of that. And I watched something. You've probably heard of this, Phil. Lolita. Hmm. You've probably heard of that. Hmm. Sure. It's it's a very interesting movie. I'm, I'm talking about the, the Kubrick version from 62, although if you were to make a literal adaptation of Lolita, even now it would be banned by just about every country because that would involve a grown man having relations with a 12-year-old. That sounds wrong. It is. It's it's still very sad watching Shelley Winters throw herself at James Mason. She's all but making herself nude in his presence. She's so eager to have the guy. And he's just not that interested because he's busily looking at the daughter. Who is a, 14 is far more acceptable than 12, but... Uh, well, that, that's, what the, that's what the story's about. That's a little creepy... Intentionally so. But you can't tell me that's a concept just like everything else out there. Hmm. Oh, and I watched the one and only movie in which Roy Orbison starred. You remember Roy Orbison, right, Phil? Mm, Nope. 
pretty woman walking down the street pretty woman kind i'd like to meet that song mm-hmm. pretty woman that song. yeah you, i mean you can take it several octaves higher than i just did i was trying not to intrude too hard on the eardrums of our listeners so the the guy who sang that mm-hmm. was not an actor his movie is The Fastest Guitar Alive, where he is part of some Confederates who go into San Francisco near the end of the beginning of 1865 and try to rob the mint so that the Confederacy can get gold. And he has a guitar with a gun barrel that pops out. Okay. And of course, it works perfectly because guitars are not constructed with any with excess space that can be occupied by a rifle and its ammunition. <laughs> uh, at, and it has an ending that must be seen to be believed. They've made the... They've stolen the gold. But, well, you know, the Confederacy is surrendering. What do we do with all this gold? Well, you know, a friendly U.S. Marshal has your answer. See, you, were, you weren't going to take that gold now that your cause is done. So if you just give it back... That's fine. I'll let you do it, and you'll get off. U.S. Marshals are known for that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'll have one more. And I just watched The Equalizer over the weekend, in which Denzel Washington convinces you which is not difficult to do, that he is quite capable of killing many, many bad people. Okay. Well, he uses a couple of wine of wine screws to kill one guy. He also uses a battery-powered drill to kill a guy. So it, it's fairly violent. <laughs> but you know what? I'll buy it. I believe that Denzel Washington could do that. Well, Denzel Washington is capable. Very. Don't mess with Denzel Washington, man. No. No. That would be inadvisable. I, I'm trying to remember if he ever actually used a gun on camera. He he was far more apt to just pick up whatever was in the environment and use it. So that would involve, say, uh, using a bag of cement as ballast and hanging a garret on the other end to raise some guy into the air so that he'll get choked to death and the garret will cut through his throat. Yeah, that's 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 a pretty image, isn't it? Yeah, it's just beautiful. Even if I tell you that he's a lousy Russian mobster who has absolutely no redeeming facets to his humanity. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Equalizer. Pretty good. Gets somewhat unbelievable at points near the end. Also has more than one ending, but enjoyable. Especially if you like Denzel. Denzel. Hey, the guy's good. 
Well, what you got, Phil? Well, talked a lot about Dragon Warrior 4. That's pretty much what I've been focused on. Uh, started diving into to 5. I want to say about 10 hours in. Like level 16-ish. And all I have is the main hero and a bunch of monsters in my party. And, you know, it uh, unfortunately, it, it's kind of giving me some flashbacks to Shin Megami Tensei, Strange Journey. Because, <laughs> you know, in Strange Journey, that's pretty much the whole game. You're the, you yeah. play the main character, and your, your supporting cast is whatever demons you pick up along the way. And I'm getting a little frustrated with the fact that, yeah, you'll pick up some, like, I pick up a slime, a slime knight... Uh, a bad apple, which I think they're cute. They're like vicious apples with teeth <laughs> to get a bad apple. <laughs> yep. Um So the monsters are cute, but when they're on your party, well, they have... They, they do tend to peak in usefulness. Right, right. They seem to have these glass ceilings where you don't know exactly where those are, those are at, but you'll notice when they level up, they only get one strength and one this and one that. And you're like, huh, are they hitting... Is that you know monster hitting his glass ceiling? Uh, he only got three hit points and stuff. And, and yeah, you'll start noticing he lags behind. So you're always on the lookout to maybe get a more advanced monster. But uh, so far, Minky, and maybe you can help answer a question for me. But so far, it seems like my experience is every time I pick up a new monster, he starts at level one. Is that the case throughout the whole entire effing game? Okay. Your heavy breathing does not get fill me with confidence. That was, that was my philosophical sigh. Yeah. And I just... I want to say... I want to say no, but... I can't, I can't remember. I hope I not, but so far... I've, I've however, re- however, at that point in the game, you should be getting close to marriage. Yeah, I don't know. I'm only like probably eight to ten hours in. Uh, when marriage happens, your wife will join you. Oh, well, that, that's happy. I had the prince in my party for a while. He he he's just he just recently ditched out after uh, I revealed the true queen or whatever. So the prince who was traveling with me. I will say plot wise. Uh, so this game seems to be a slower burn than Dragon Dragon Warrior 4 where within the first 8 hours you've gone through 4 complete stories each one which may have had at least 1 plot, major plot point going on uh, whereas this game in the first 8 hours you've pretty much been focused on one character he's gone through a few plot points but you're focused on one main character um, so it feels like a slower burn but it has dealt with a number of Issues and some of them pretty pretty adult. Uh, You know, within five hours, you're dealing with slavery. Uh, You're dealing with genocide. Yeah, Uh, your your dad died, leaving you an orphan. Dad died. You got what's what's dad dying? Padricide. (laughs) You didn't kill him. No, but somebody else committed father side something. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, lots of death. As I recall, he just decided he was going to stand there and take the hits rather than fight back and get you killed. Yeah. So he died to, that you would might live. I'm not sure that's really logical. You know? It probably isn't logical, but 
in that sort of a circumstance where your child is being held hostage and you have just been told that if you move, you will see your child die, uh, that's... I think then you move because are you really going to trust the word of a bad guy who looks like a monster and probably isn't going to keep his word anyways? Based on the many, many times this element has been used throughout history to get the to get the good guy to stop in his tracks and just let the bad guy carry out whatever he's doing. Yes, taking hostages seems to work. <laughs> so, um, uh, but I thought that the, after, you know, Pa kicked the bucket and we got sold into slavery for 10 years, I thought that, that hour or so afterwards where you're in the slave camp was pretty effective. Uh, definitely, definitely felt for the people in the slave camp and, Stuff. Now, I thought the method of escape, which was basically throw us all into a barrel, was a a bit laughable. I'm imagining three people in a barrel because that's how many people escape on the barrel. Um, <laughs> when you're in a slave camp, uh, you the uh, the prince and one of the other, I think it's Maria, is her name. One of the chicks. There's a plot point involved there, but essentially one of the one of the guards says uh, Maria's his daughter, and he wants her to escape, and you helped her out. So, you know, he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you all escape. The only way out of here is down this river into the ocean, and to do that, you're gonna need to jump in this barrel." So I'm just imagining three people stuck in a barrel, and it and the way that the day turns to night and the night turns to day, it looks like it takes at least a day, day and a half. Imagine three people trying to survive in a barrel. In the sun, in the heat, for a day and a half. Yeah, that paints that paints a graphic picture. I probably didn't need. Um, anywho, but it is it is really cute. And it deals with deeper matters than the previous Dragon Warrior games so far, um, which isn't surprising considering around that time you figure Final Fantasy four and five, uh, you know, are coming out, which are also dealing with some similar deep deep threads. So, I got some more travel coming up. I'll continue to plug away at 5. I'm expecting, based on the pacing early on here, for this game to take me longer to get through than 4. It may. You will You'll probably get to choose your wife pretty soon, though. And uh, since I chose Deborah, I'm kind of curious to see whether you'll go with Bianca or I'm going to... Uh, the third one. <laughs> the third one, whatever her name is. Yeah, there Debra, was Deborah was added to the DS. She wasn't in the original Super Nintendo version, and she's oh. she's hilarious. Oh, she, she just treat she just whenever you use party chat and talk to her, she acts as if you're doing her this enormous favor by dating by being her escort. Just to be in her presence is such a wondrous thing for you, you lowly worthless scruff ball that. It can only make your life better that you are allowed to tote her goodies along and to clean up the monsters with her assistance, of course, because without that, you would be nothing. Right. She might get That's a pass. her attitude. So she's funny. So somebody has made a wall. You know, in my research of this game, I try to find the manual. If I can find one, download the PDF. I've actually still got the original manual for this because I bought it when it came out on the DS. I find all kind of media that I can find. And one of the – I found a wallpaper somebody made and the wallpaper says Destiny's Housewives and has a picture of Flora, Bianca, and Deborah, you know, on it with the Dragon yep. Quest V logo. And uh, Bianca you dealt with as a kid. As a she, kid, yeah. She, yeah. Flora is um, 
she's very quiet, I guess, and she's... Mm, I don't know. I guess she's more of a mage, so that could be useful. So, anywho, I just... Uh, what was funny was this was another one of those wallpapers. I didn't know if that was completely politically correct, so I did not set that on my desktop at work. <laughs> but it's called Destiny Housewives. Uh, if you're interested in any of this stuff, uh, let me know. I've also downloaded some wallpaper... Uh, I mean, some artwork from DeviantArt that someone had made a very beautifully rendered picture of Bianca behind the hero who's got the cat in front of him. Uh, It's a very nicely done picture, completely completely, uh, outside of Square Enix's efforts. Um, I've also saved pictures of the back and the front of the box uh, and the wallpapers. All kinds of stuff. I currently have the app. So at work, what I do have for my desktop wallpaper is the PlayStation 2 cover art that was used in Japan. So that's a very interesting picture. I I uh, I high up what I I enhanced the contrast of the colors to make them pop out a little bit more with my photo editing software, and that's what my desk you know desktop wallpaper is. So. Pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. Take some pictures as well. I kind of like, you know, the Dragon Quest humor is just just so fun. Uh, you got, uh, <laughs> I got a screenshot of wax murderers, which are candles with knives to try to murder you. Get it? Wax yep. murderers? Ha! Uh, just so hilarious. And, of course, the bad apples that I mentioned earlier. I so. can only wonder what that was in Japanese. The pun does not work in Japanese, I'm That's sure. what, the translation is... You know, on one hand, the translation on the DS versions are done so well because they totally get some of these funny puns that you know could have worked in Japanese. So they're coming up with some original stuff. On the other hand, specifically with Dragon Quest IV, I didn't mention this before, but I got frustrated with some of the chapters because they were trying to give them accents, like Scottish accents and stuff. So they're using lots of oh, apostrophes. Yeah. Or French. Or, or uh, French. Or, yeah. And I didn't understand what the hell they were really trying to say. Listen to me, boys and girls. No, no, no. It, it is very easy to come with French in vocalisms. But Listen to me, boys and girls. If you don't have voice acting in your games, don't try to improvise accents by using apostrophes every third consonant. It doesn't work. It's evil. Just just speak English and forget about the accents and call it Wasn't a day. Wasn't also uh, Irish-themed? Yeah, I hated it. I just hated oh, it. It's I just... a wee bit blarney, don't you know? I'll, I'll be having you know that when you put Irish pr- pr- pronunciation to the text and it just doesn't come across quite as well as it should, you know. Especially when they use so many apostrophes that you don't understand what the freaking hell they're saying. <laughs> You're just like, come on, guys. It isn't so bad in Dragon, uh, Dragon Quest V so far. There's been some of it, but not too much, thankfully. It just seemed like in, in Dragon Quest Four on the DS, they were just overdoing it. Like, every single chapter had to be from a different quote-unquote country where they were faking a different accent. And, it, you know, through the text, which has no voice acting. It sucked. It's really hilarious. I watch uh, WWE, and uh, there's, a, there's a wrestler called Rusev. Rusev is not very charismatic, so he has this ma- uh, manager chick. Uh, I forget her name at the moment. But she introduces him every single match. She's a blonde hair bombshell. And, uh, and she has this incredibly fake Russian you know, accent that she puts on. And every time I, I'm playing wrestling and Shirley's walking by while I'm playing on my iPad and she's cleaning the house or whatever, she hears the iPad and she hears, you know, Rusev being introduced. And she's like, who is that woman? Her accent is horrible. 
<laughs> you know, that's where Dragon Quest Four makes me feel. It's like, oh my god, the apostrophes completely unnecessary. I need somebody to to translate this to English for me. So, yeah, a little irritating there. Anywho, uh, that's pretty much. I just really haven't had a whole lot of time to play anything else. I've been so busy with work and stuff and my business trips and. Like I said, when you knock out a 30, 30 hour RPG uh, in a couple of weeks with a with a full time job, you know that's all you were doing. So, uh, yeah. All right, let's uh, let's see. Part of the uh, the final lap is we read your comments, and we did have a few comments on our forums. So our last episode yeah. was number one twenty nine, my fist in your face, and we talked about a lot of action side scrolling beat 'em up RPGs. And uh, Suik says. I have little to say in regards to this episode as this is a subgenre that I unfortunately didn't sink my see- teeth into. However, with Mike, Phil, and uh, and Mr. Apps gouging into necessary details, I definitely want to at least give it a try. Um, the discussions in the episode made them out to be fun and simple running gun with RPG elements. I crave my morning coffee. Suppose I really won't know until I dive in and give it a try. Another good reason to boot up the old Saturn yeah. Uh, P.S. Thanks for another shout out. There's nothing like a .08 blood alcohol content fill reading all my poorly written comments. So, sweet, just for you, I th- I read. I, I think I, your blood alcohol level is at least .11 by now. Yeah, I, I you know what? I didn't want to let sweet down, so I made. I I actually had read this a week ago and commented on it, but I wanted to make sure for this show I had plenty of alcohol on standby so that I could recreate this experience that that Suik enjoyed so much before. So I said, R- that's where I wrote in, RFL, thanks for the comments. I didn't- was I drinking on that show, Mike? Was that one of my drinking shows? I don't think Suik could uh, misremember. I, I don't remember. I, I don't drink on every show. Uh, it's just usually when I had really bad days at work. But what was really cool was uh, one of the comments I did put on this thread, uh, and this is uh, this is some of the stuff you can find out when you uh, subscribe to our threads at board.rpgamer.com. I mentioned that on Twitter, Josh Carpenter, who uh, subscribes, I guess, and uh, he responded. He's uh, by the way, he is J S for Sam, C A R P for Paul E. So uh, definitely check him out because he pointed out something interesting, as if by pure coincidence. Um, the PS uh, Plus, the PS3 special game of the month, the free game of the month, one of the two, it was D&D Chronicles of Mistara, which we just spoke about. Once again, RPG Backtrack comes through. As we talk, the publishers listen. And they put that up as the PS uh, Plus free game of the month. So, wow, I'm blown away. This is like the third or fourth time in a row now that you and I have talked about a game and something's happened because of it. We must have the magic touch. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and in response to that, Sweet says, uh, perfect, I'm a PS Plus member. It seems that Backtrack's Mysterious Powers continues on to another episode. It's a bit creepy to say the least. So, uh, uh, he, she, or it recommends that you and I talk about Chrono Trigger 2 because maybe then we'll get lucky and they'll announce that you're making Chrono Trigger 2. Let's do that next time. I'm I'm feeling like I need to get to bed fairly early tonight. The, uh, I'll just say, obviously, 
Chrono Cross is not what we're supposed to talk about. No, no. Um, and uh, so Suik has also been listening to some of our uh, going through our backlog or back catalog of um, RPG backtracks mentions that in episode 14 where we talk about Final Fantasy 7 that Glenn is priceless and hilarious uh, that's where uh, uh, Sweek says that's where the ampersand originated uh, I believe oh, that. That, that, yeah, that that's pretty far back with the voice of uh, Eris I think yeah and uh, Final, Fan- uh, Final Fantasy 8 episode was number 19 uh, also has a star cast and it's fun to listen to um and uh, and the such. So, uh, Victor Literon says, "I wish Guardian Heroes was on Steam or the PlayStation Network, as well as as well as I do, Victor, because I'm not going to buy a Saturn. Uh, but you could buy a 360. Uh, no, not going to do that either. <laughs> so I can only hope that it's going to come out on Steam one day. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Yeah, go ask, go ask Treasure. Victor, the, the fact that the that this game and Radiant Silver Gun." were rescued from the Saturn exclusivity and brought to something else obviously isn't enough for you. <laughs> Victor uh, Victor goes on to say, I didn't hear Phil much say much about the DQ's three post-game content, such as it was uh, in the Game Boy Color I remake. I don't even remember what the post-game content was in DQ3. Well, apparently, in the Game Boy Color remake, there's a bonus dungeon with a bonus boss, a big old dragon, and a bonus super boss, an even bigger dragon. The DQ3... Wait, wait Dragon Quest? Yeah. That makes no dragons sense Dragons and dragons. I always thought that was funny. Like, in Dragon Quest Four, the only dragon that you see... I mean, I think there's a couple of dragons you might... Like, random enemy dragon. I'm trying to remember. But the only dragon I re- actually recall seeing is uh, he's a major NPC on the way when you're in the Zenithian... When you work your way up through the clouds to their castle in the sky, he uh, he empowers your sword and uh, furthers your quest. He's essentially a god that that some of the Zenithians worship, but you don't actually fight him, which is a little anticlimactic. But um, I do remember in Dragon Quest One, yeah, and all and yeah, Dragon Quest One, he kind of helps you along your quest. So interestingly enough, the dragons. In Dragon Quest games, you don't actually seem to fight too often as much as they help you along. Well, Dragon Quest, that that doesn't necessarily make you into a fighter of dragons, just that you will experience dragons somehow. I suppose. It's kind of like the early Dungeon Dragons adventures, where it was very unusual to actually face a dragon because they were so terrifying. Um, <clears throat> anywho, he says... Uh, Aside from that, he says, The DQ3 remake was the first numerical DQ to have done bonus post-dungeon post-game content. It also started a DQ tradition where if the player takes too many turns to win the bonus uh, dr- uh, boss fight, then the bonus boss tells the player, That was boring. If you can't defeat me in X turns, you're still a loser. To which Victor would reply, B.S. I still beat you, and I don't want to grind another 10 hours. It's time for my next RPG. Which I can totally relate to. That's why I didn't ever do the bone. Honestly, I saw. Was it in the Super Famicom version that you played? I don't recall seeing it, but I am the kind of person that normally, once it says game over, and I'll say, Do you want to save your final game? I'll say yes, but I won't reload it immediately to see if there's a post game content, which is the way Dragon Quest Warrior 4 DS works. You're supposed to save it, and once you save it, the screen freezes up and say the end, which is typical. The game's over. 
But the way you access the post-game content is you reboot your DS, you reload that save file, and that's what, you know, and then you have to go and talk to people, whatever, to activate that. I I don't normally know. I'm not the kind of person to take those extra steps. If it wasn't for the FAQ, I wouldn't have been aware of it at all. So in Dragon Quest Three, if it was in the SNES version, I would have never noticed it because I don't normally take those extra steps. Um... He says, uh, the crazy part was that in order to even access the second half of the bonus dungeon and the second ultra hard bonus boss, the player had not only to beat the, uh, had not only beat bonus boss number one in set number of turns, but also collect every monster medal in the game. Monster medals dropped off of monsters rarely, very rarely. In other words, you had to grind, 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 and grind some more for your extra bonus content. Hey, you could even trade monster medals with a friend if you had a link cable. Yeah, Victor says I didn't do any of that. <laughs> I can't say I blame him. No, no. So, uh, cool comments. We love these. This is the kind of stuff. Hey, these games are really deep. None of us have experienced everything that goes on in every game. So, even as we're doing uh, these in-depth reviews and discussions on RPG Backtrack, we really appreciate your viewpoints because you bring stuff like this to the forefront, and you can do that by going to board.rpgamer.com, going into the forums, and joining the discussion. Alternatively, you can shoot me off an email, jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com or albertodyssey at hotmail.com or tweet us. Everyone likes to tweet these days. Twitter.com forward slash jcservant, twitter.com forward slash jumason for Mr. Mike Minky. And we are happy to read your tweets. Yeah, don't expect me to constantly tweet. That seems to be... I, I occasionally see people rush to follow me in a, in a drove, and then when I don't have anything to say for a couple of days, they just vanish. I, If you look back at my tweet history, then that should not come as any surprise that I will be silent for stretches. Yeah, I do the same thing. I try to use... There's a, there's a website you can go to, uh, tweetdeck.twitter.com, and you can actually... Um, plan to do tweets ahead of time. So I try to use that if I know I'm going to be out for a while just to put up some, you know, some tweets. But I'm so busy. I, I probably go for quite a few days sometimes without tweeting anything. But, uh, hey, I read your stuff when you come back. Unfortunately, I might have lost some of y'all's comments on Twitter because, um, I made I do sometimes occasionally I've been known to post some theological stuff on my Twitter feed and I didn't I posted something about uh evolution and it was just something that just came up and I didn't realize this I never get responses hardly to my theological Twitter's tweets and I got a flood I just got a flood until they flooded my account at some point, I just disengaged and said, okay, let everybody get off their chest, walk away. <laughs> Made my point, walk away. And so I might have lost a few comments. But I I, uh, I did see Joshua Carpenter's comment about uh, the D&D side-scrolling uh, game, um, Chronicles of Mastara, being on PlayStation Plus. So that's, that, that came through Twitter. So yeah, if you see stuff and you want to contribute to the conversation, be like Josh and uh, shoot me off a direct tweet at JC Servant, and I'll be happy to read it on the air and or post it on the forum thread where other people are reading and following up what's going on. So thank you so much, Josh. 
for sharing that because I was not aware and I follow PlayStation Plus. What was really ironic, and I'm so thankful for Josh's tweet, is my understanding of PlayStation Plus is that once a month they give us new free games. So I logged on on like October 2nd and I saw a couple of new games. They weren't anything I was interested in, so I shut down my PlayStation and figured I wouldn't look at it till November. But then Joshua's tweet came out a week later, and sure enough, I loaded up my PlayStation, and sure enough, D&D Chronicles of Mastara was the free ga- was a new free game of the month. I don't know why that wasn't there on October 2nd. Whatever the excuse- reason was, I went ahead and downloaded that, so now I get to experience that. I played the, uh, as I mentioned before, I played the arcade emulation, but I'm looking forward to play- playing the PlayStation 3 version, which has achievements tied into it. So thank you so much, Josh. Steam does too. I I got a lot of achievements. Achievements. Not necessarily trying, but I. Yeah. I got a lot. Which is my favorite way to like me personally. Everybody gets different things out of video games. For me personally, I just like the pops that come every once in a while. Say, hey, you did this. I personally don't chase after achievements, especially if they're going to take hours and hours. I just don't have that kind of time. Uh, one of the things that we'll uh, mention to you is RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your favorite source for news, reviews, and commentary on computer and console role-playing games. Along those lines, if you head over to RPGamer.com, you check it out. We've got some great reviews for you to read and, and stuff. Michael Baker's written a review on Adventure Bar Story. Which, which quick, is, of course, the 3DS version, which is not the one we have gotten here yet. That We have gotten, apparently, the iOS version. Hmm. So you might want to check that out. Uh, it's a pretty favorable review. Mr. Zach Wellhouse has reviewed the very excellent Shadowrun Returns, Director's Cut, uh, Shadowrun Dragonfall. We, we did a Shadowrun episode, but man, that was a while ago now. That was a while ago, and that was like, what, the Genesis game? That was the Genesis and the Super Nintendo one. Super Nintendo. So this is the uh, this is the PC Kickstarter uh, game that came out a little while ago, but this is the Director's Edition, so that's an enhancement of what came out a while ago. I supported the Kickstarter. It's one of my first Kickstarter things I supported. Um because it was, uh, you know, they pitched it by guys who knew and understand classic RPGs, which I'm a huge fan of. So I went ahead and put money in Shadowrun, and boy, am I glad that I did because they raised the price later on. I got the game for free through my GOG account for being a Kickstarter supporter, regardless of what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. I got a good deal. Regardless of what you paid for it, uh, it is a very excellent game. And Zach Wellhouse actually gives us the very rare 5 out of 5 on RP Gamer, which is an exceptional rating. You want to check out his comments, though, to figure out what makes this game so exceptional and why you need to play it. Uh, Glenn Wilson reviews Gauntlet, which was one of my favorite games back in the day. Uh, I remember it wasn't the original Gauntlet. It was some variation on it that I played on when I should have been doing something else because I was on a cruise ship. Instead, there I was sinking quarters into a gauntlet machine. And you know, and then later on, we had the PlayStation Gauntlet games, and I played those with friends, and they weren't the, they didn't blow our minds, but it was fun to play with other people. Elf needs food badly. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I've even played this in the arcade with my wife. So Gauntlet uh, Review, there's a new Gauntlet game in case you haven't heard uh, that's been released on uh, Steam, maybe other platforms as well, but uh, Glenn Wilson specifically reviews the PC version, which can be found on Steam. Uh, see what he has to say, because he has some positive, but he also has some negatives. Uh, then we have a retro review of Light... Well, it's not really retro. Actually, this is a newer game. Lightning Returns Final Fantasy Thirteen. A Second Opinion. A Second Opinion by Trent Seely. Um, what do we say about that, Mike? He was less enamored with it than Adrian Dan Auden was earlier yes. this year. Yeah, so you'll want to you want to read that one. Man, someday we're going to have to delve into this whole Final Fantasy Thirteen thing on Backtrack, but there's there's no reason to rush that day. No, no. I'll probably do an RPG trek <clears throat> on Final Fantasy eventually and go through that entire series, but uh, not in the near future. Um, so yeah, all of that, plus news, articles, screenshots, videos, and much more, at rpgamer.com, we highly encourage you to go and check it out because uh, it is uh, these uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? It is the people at rpgamer.com that keep our mics turned on. So please support them. Go and check out the, the content that's there. Maybe click on an advertisement or two while you're there. Um, Retro RPG News real quick. You know, I try to keep an eye out for uh, new games that are coming out that are retro in flavor, both on Steam and GOG. And one that I think Steam has done recently is they've made it easier to see just the new RPGs that are coming out uh, because there's so much content being released on their site. It can be pretty difficult to keep up with it all. Uh, Costume Quest 2 came out uh, recently, a retro-style JRPG uh, type of thing with a lot of flavor. I haven't uh, read the early reviews on it yet, but uh, the, the first game, Costume Quest 1, was a lot of fun. A lot of people liked it. Uh, so if you're interested, that is on Steam. Over at GOG, you can pre-order Legend of Grimrock 2. For those of you who don't know, the original Legend of Grimrock, which I was also a Kickstarter supporter of, it's it, it basically reinvigorates or reimagines the old Eye of the Beholder uh, console RPGs that was back on the Genesis, as well as the PC, where uh, it's a first-person perspective, grid-based, uh, but it's a it's a party of four instead of just a single character. You'd build a build your party from scratch, dive into this dungeon. And what's funny was as you would see enemies coming, you know, in this grid based dungeon, you could like attack in real time and then sidestep as the enemy took their attacks, quickly sidestep back, take your attacks, and play this dance type of thing. So it was a blend of of real time action and turn based combat all mixed into one. Um, and this was back in the mid-90s. I played a number of the Eye to Beholder games on the Genesis uh, and the PC. Legend of Grimrock is just kind of like reinvigorating that uh, subgenre. The first one did pretty well on uh, Kickstarter. They released it, got some pretty good reviews. They're now doing pre-orders for the second one, which is due to come out soon over at GOG.com. Uh, also on GOG.com is Din's Curse. If you're a fan of action RPGs like Diablo and the such, uh, Din's Curse was originally released on March 31st, 2010 um, <clears throat> by Soldak Entertainment. 
and it's essentially similar to Torchlight and Diablo, but one of the cool things is that uh, that it ties in what's going on with the dungeons with what's going on in town. So you'll be given quests and the such, and um, and if you don't complete them quickly, things uh, they'll have an impact on the people in the town. So um, yeah, it's kind of a different twist on the whole. Um, you know, action RPG type of thing. Um, and there's an expansion on that on GOG.com called uh, Demon War, which adds even more to this uh, game that's already pretty uh, immense. But uh, you could also um, customize the towns that you're doing the stuff for. You can choose a number of custom stats that affect the game and the way it works, the enemy starting level, how many there are, how they act. There's a lot of tweaks and stuff from what I understand that you can play with to really tailor the experience to your taste. So you'll definitely want to check it out um, if you're interested in action RPGs. Currently at the moment, at the time of this recording, it's on sale 50, 50% off on GOG. Normally uh, goes for $10 plus $5 for the expansion. You can get it for $5 and $2.50 for the expansion for a total of $7.50. So, again, half off. Den's curse. D-I-N. Den. It's curse. We don't have a review for that on RP Gamer, unfortunately. I'll ask Mac. Maybe. We do have a, we do have a page made up for it. We just don't have a review. Actually, what, what am I thinking? I don't, I don't have much time lately to do extra reviews. Do it, Mike. Do it. Come on, man. Uh, um, I, I make I make no guarantees. I'm with you. I don't have much time either. We do what we can. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and review Chronicles of Mistara since Sam was very was nice enough to make me up a game page for that when I had barely even suggested. You know, maybe we can maybe we can qual- cover this thing and then bam, she makes me a game page. So Sam Martin, no Sam walked her now. Sam, she's just a cool lady. Marshmallow. But yeah, if, if any of y'all listening have played Den's Curse and you have some thoughts or opinions, we'd love to hear from you through one of our various means to get all of us. We'd love to hear what you have to say, and I'd be happy to read it on the air. If I get a chance to play it myself, I'll be happy to do so and share those thoughts. Our next show is RPG Backtrack number 131, Infinite Inapplicability. <laughs> so uh, we'll be talking about Infinite Undiscovery and Resonance of Faith, another really complicated RPG. Yes. Yes, this comes from Triace, a company not known for making simple games. <laughs> not known for, for making things abbreviated. Um, you, you know, it's really hilarious because we talked about, I, you know, we talked about Vagrant Story, which was I don't know. Listening to you guys, at least the way it came across to me was maybe a possibly a little too complicated for its own good. It sounds like that they could have eliminated maybe the weaknesses for the races and the blunt, sharp, whatever, and just focus on elemental because that's what you guys sound like you're focused on to get through the game. Anywho, it's really funny how you went from that. I would have liked it if you didn't need to – if hitting – an opposing type of enemy didn't reduce your effectiveness against the type of enemy that the weapon was nominally strong with. 
It, so it's funny going from that game in chalk and then jumping over to Dragon Quest, which is an extremely straightforward JRPG. Well, you certainly didn't need to spend much time elaborating on the combat mechanics of Dragon Quest. Nope, it's it's pretty straightforward. You know, what's kind of funny about that game is, like, I remember, I didn't mention this, but, like, you take, uh, you have two wizards, right? You have Maya and Borboya, the old wizard guy. Yeah. And uh, the old wizard guy, Boya, he has buffs. He can buff up like he can do oomph, which doubles the attack of uh, attack power of a, a character. Whereas Maya doesn't really have that. She just basically has a fin- you're just pure offensive spells. Plus, she also has a spell turn into a dragon, which I found a lot of fun. Um, I remember that- both of them being quite useful. Yeah, that's the fascinating thing. Is like normally in most role playing games I play. Buffing is huge, right? If you there's a buffer, you have to have him in your group, and he's going to be much more effective than someone who can just do offensive stuff. Especially since the buffer has offensive spells himself. But yeah, you know what? I got equal use out of both of them, even though she had no buff spells. Same thing with the clerics, because you had uh, Crot Curl who had buff uh, and Cub buff, which could improve everybody's defense. But then you had uh, what was her name, Mila? who basically could cure and stuff, she had the elemental defense buff, but not anything else outside of that for buffing. It was interesting. It was really cool. They did that really well, but not deep. Not deep at all. <laughs> no, nor did, nor did it really need to be. It no. gave you a reason to break out each character. <laughs> yeah, it gave you a reason. For, yeah, exactly. They, they didn't really overlap much. I mean, Ragnar and Elena maybe a little because they were both physical fighters but even then they had different weapon types and well and Ragnar was highly defensive and Elena was highly offensive which incidentally is practically unheard of among heroines the heroine is usually not the one who's picking up the gigantic weapons that weigh 10 pounds and smashing the heads in with brutal physical force no, nah, she was pretty refreshing, especially in those early days of being a, a great example of, of a strong female character. She was leading the others. She was always in the front of the fights. She did more damage than anybody else in my party. Um, she was, yeah, definitely a strong female role model and definitely something I applaud for uh, for an, uh, uh, an NES era game. That's something especially I would see since- a lot. Especially since you still don't, you still don't see it that much. No, no. I mean, just think about you know, let's say Final Fantasy VII with Tifa. Uh, you know, I arguably, depending on how you build Tifa, she was pretty you know hardening. I suppose she was a fist fighter like uh, like uh, Alina. But you know, Tifa was certainly uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? She was dependent emotionally. She she kind of fit into these woman stereotypes. Uh, that that aren't exactly seen as positive these days. Whereas Elena, who was what ten years earlier, she was or maybe not that far back, but she was she was a strong female six, role. Six, 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 yeah, but she was a strong male, strong female character, a lot stronger than Tifa, and she didn't have to have a double, triple D cup size bra, <laughs> you know, unlike Tifa. Uh, you know, she was just. She, you know, she she was cool, um, and she didn't even have whatever Tifa's 
greatest attacks were, you know, the, the limit breaks where she's smashing open the continent or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, you didn't feel like they uh they they made a they 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 played up to the fact that she was a woman and she had to fall in love with the hero and all that stuff. No, no, she broke a lead up for uh, an NES era character. Really broke the mold. And uh, yeah, pretty cool. So uh, I totally forget how we got off on that side topic. Uh, we we had started talking about resonance of fate and how that was related to. Vagrant story and how simple that games, was, and how that was a very complex pair of games, and how that was the antithesis of the <laughs> Dragon Quest games. I think that's how we got here. I think that's what we got there. Anywho, oh, you know, going back to Dragon Quest games on a totally completely side topic. Um, so seven of the eight characters you mentioned before there's not a lot of overlap I felt like they were mostly all effective though certain characters like Alina was almost always in my party but uh, the one character I felt was just totally lagging behind was Taloon the merchant's chapter was the most interesting but once I got him in the party at chapter 5 and stuff eh, it wasn't that cool anymore well, it, I remember him being useful because you would get more money when he was in your direct party, and he made it more mm. likely that the enemies would drop stuff. But the sacrifice, of course, is that if you do that, his battle performance just wasn't that great. No, because he played like the goof-off in Dragon Warrior 3, which is to say, you got a 50-50 chance every round, he's just going to goof off and not actually do what you asked him to do, which is not a very effective way of finishing a fight. Huh. Interesting. Anywho, uh, he died very. It was really funny in the battle against Sorrow, uh, where I had a couple of party members falling uh, in his last few evolutions. I threw uh, Taloon in there to, at the very least, I'm thinking he'd be me shield. His first round, Taloon only did like five points of damage. The second round, Taloon died. <laughs> so he had a sh- very short game, um, <laughs> and I had him equipped in pretty much the best armor. Anywho, uh, we digress yet again. Slightly. Uh, slightly. So, yeah, definitely be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, then we're going to be uh, taking a bit of a hiatus for November as I have other things I must tend to for the holidays. And we'll be back in December with a trio of shows. So uh, that's what's going on with RPG Backtrack. Again, you can leave your comments on the forums at board.rpgamer.com. Shoot me off an email, jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com, twitter.com, forward slash jcservant, or Robert Odyssey at hotmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Leave us five stars at iTunes, or is it six stars, or seven stars? Lots of stars. Yeah, seven stars is... uh... If you can leave that, then it'll make us think of Super Mario RPG, and there's nothing really wrong with that. Da, 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 da. Uh, yeah, so do all that. Uh, thank, uh, he had to leave, but we definitely thank Mr. Nathan for being on the show and, and helping. He got a lot further than I ever did in Vagrant Story. Vagrant Story, uh, the game that requires a spreadsheet. Uh, I'm glad y'all said the elemental strengths are the most important, though, so if I, if I do get back to playing it again, I'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, I I don't know if I'll actually do that though because I, I'm not a big fan of puzzle mechanics in my 
RPGs. But uh, yeah, it I, I like gather that cool. we didn't even get into some of the more puzzly parts where you get to tote lots of boxes around because you know everyone loves those. So of course they're included in so many games. Everyone okay, loves boxes around. You guys are totally talking me out of this game. Maybe that was my secret agenda all, all along. <laughs> uh, if you head over to rpgamer.com, over on the left, there is a link that says RPG Backtrack. You can listen to our huge back catalog of shows going back like four or five years, as apparently one of our listeners are doing that we mentioned earlier. You can also listen to our two sister podcasts, the RPG cast which has been going on longer than we have and the active topical banner which just started not too long ago and considering it puts out one episode a month it is not going to catch up to our number of shows for a very long time nope we win <laughs> rpg cast uh, though comes out every week so they're pulling further ahead uh occasionally i'll show up there as a guest myself uh, when I get the, the opportunity to spare a Saturday morning, I love chit-chatting with um, Anna and Chris and the gang that happens to be on there. Anywho, um, I guess that's it, Mr. Mike. You want to put us to bed? I guess I better. Um, of course, I should have had several quadratic equations followed by a, a liberal application of cosine and and multiple levels of multiplication and division and fractional analysis along with maybe some imaginary numbers in order to come up with a calculation that could best quantify and qualify exactly how intense the vagrant story experience is. So, good night. You know, I was like a sturdy student in math until we started introducing imaginary numbers. That was beyond my comprehension. They're imaginary, Mike. How can they be real?